welcome to I Got Sucked Off by Historical King Arthur, aka Sabermetrics. My name is Sierra, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Dustin, my pronouns are he, they. This is a uh, critical uh, examination podcast of the Fate series. Currently we're on Fate Stay Night, and we did days 7 through 9 of the Heavens Field Roof. Hey, yeah. the game might be getting good at, like, the 90% mark. It's certainly possible. Um, well, did you want good maybe any... strong. Interesting, at least. Uh, did you want to uh, quickly do our top five for Unlimited Blade Works since we didn't really have time? Oh, I guess. Uh, um, I, I, we can just do them real quickly because I think we went into a lot of detail last time. Mm-hmm. Um, my For my list, uh, Archer is no longer in the top five. <laughs> no, Archer is in the bottom five now. Archer might be yeah. bottom two. Yeah, my uh, my top five is now um, going from five to one: Caster, Issei, Saber, Lancer, and Rin. See, for me, it, it is probably Issei, Fujine. Uh, I don't know who would be three. It might be Caster. I, I like Caster a lot. Caster's a pretty good villain. Actually, okay, so it's Caster five. Uh, Fu- Issei, Fujine, Rin, uh, Lancer. <laughs> I just, I love that stupid bitch. I love that stupid bitch so much. Lan- Lancer, Lancer's real good. In My biggest works. complaint about uh, uh, Heaven's Feel so far is Lancer fucking beefs it. Yeah, Lancer gets punked. Uh, thankfully, we w- thankfully we will get some Lancer in uh, the cooking show. Um, I forget about the cooking show. Yeah. I can't wait, dude. Oh my god. Sakura deserves to to have a nice show where she gets to hang out and cook food. Uh Uh-huh. She fucking Uh, earned it. Uh, but yeah, so, now that's out of the way, um, yeah, let's go ahead and start with day seven. Huh, so... At breakfast, uh, Shiro, Taiga, Saber, and Sakura are eating together. Uh, Taiga is making small talk when she brings up sumo wrestling. Saber asks what her, what that is, and she explains it. Saber gets fixated on the fact that the wrestlers only wear loincloths, and Taiga tells her to ask Shiro about it since, since he has one. Uh, Shiro, mildly embarrassed, corrects her, saying he merely borrowed one when his grandpa forced him to sumo wrestle when he was a kid. He kept losing, but refused to give up until he won, so his grandpa instead made him start archery. Um, I included this sort of seemingly pointless diversion, uh, because I think it's interesting that the more we learn about Shiro, the more we find that everything about him is is stuff he's, like, been forced into by other people, as opposed to, like, ever wanting to do himself. Well, not only that... The thing we are learning about Shiro is everything he is actively good at by his own talents and efforts. So archery, um, sumo wrestling that he like was successful in through perseverance, uh, he abandons because it's not something he can see and evaluate in because it's for him. Like anything that is for him of him is something he cannot see value in because he cannot value himself in any real way. So he'll abandon it at a second thought if it's mildly inconvenient. But meanwhile, he's dog shit at magic and he's like, no, I have to keep doing it though. 
<laughs> Even the dojo is like, yeah, man, you're not a swordsman. Like, you're fine. You're athletic. So, like, you're good enough at it. But, like, it's not a thing for you. You're an archer. Your class literally is archer. Yeah, it, it, it kind of goes back to, like, what Rin was doing in Unlimited Blade Works, where she was like, hey, Shiro, is there anything that actually makes you happy that you like doing? <laughs> and he just couldn't answer her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's just another little detail there um, that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while they're on the... We get a lot of, like characterization of shiro this route in a way where like yeah man i still don't like shiro i still want to shove him in a fucking locker but he feels like a person in this route in a way he didn't in the first two yeah there are actually some specific there are actually some specific points in these days where he's made me madder than he almost ever has before i think i know Uh, one of them and i will make a case for one of them. I, I, I want to be clear, I still think he's wrong when he's a, almost a dickhead to Rin, but it's a reaction again I can understand because he's being a person in this room. Yeah. Um, he's just a person I happen to dislike very, very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, real. So we'll, while they're on the topic of uh, uh, sports, uh, Taiga mentions all morning club activities are canceled due to an incident yesterday that injured between 10 and 20 students. The incident she describes sounds similar to uh, Ryder's Blood Fort. Um, Side note, I feel like she like should the... have a number. I feel like between 10 and 20 is a low enough yeah. number that I feel like you should have the specific number. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it sounds similar to Ryder's Blood Fort, which would match up with uh, Limited Blade Works' time frame. But as far as we know, Ryder is gone and Shinji isn't in the war anymore. <laughs> right. We'll we'll get to that. Uh, after breakfast, Sakura reveals that she's made lunch for Shiro, and she asks why he doesn't make lunch that often, since he likes cooking. He says he doesn't actually like cooking. Here we go again. <laughs> And thinks to himself that he's not comfortable with with cooking being a hobby for a guy. He is so deeply in gender that I just, I can't handle this dude. (laughs) Shiro, do you know how many chefs are are dudes, my guy? There's so many dudes. In fact, it is literally a hard profession for people who are not dudes to get into. Yeah, that's, that's like the really... That's the one of the really weird things about gender. There's a lot of weird things about gender, but that's the one that's always been particularly baffling to me. Is that like, oh, working in the kitchen—that's a woman's job. But if you're, but if it is your job and you wear a fancy outfit and get called chef, that's for dudes. Even like, <laughs> yeah, okay. it, it's it. I mean, like you see it in fashion too, like fashion and clothes is gendered as feminine but like fashion designers are often dudes like yeah it's gender is a fuck and so is misogyny and it yeah it's things are complicated yeah uh so shiro used to make his own lunch because it was cheaper but then classmates would crowd around him and take most of his lunch uh, he only makes his lunch when he can use the student council room and eat alone with Issei. I do like that, uh, because, like, 
it kind of shows that a lot of Shiro's self-consciousness is, like, literally just in his head. No one else gives a shit because they're all like, yo, this food is fucking banging. Yeah, yeah, they like it so much that they will, like, bully him to give him <laughs> They give will him steal his all his food, and because <laughs> he's him, he can't say no. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Which, like, so- I, I, just, I think is a fun detail. Yeah. Uh, Sakura, who is very obviously making moves on him, suggests he should eat at the archery club instead, since it's quiet there. He agrees, and is curious why Sakura suddenly seems so pleased with himself. Stupider than a fucking lesbian. God. On their way to school, Shiro asks why she goes to archery club every day. Participation isn't required. Most people go every other day, and it'd be good for her to skip every so often. When she realizes she could walk to school with Shiro sometimes if she skipped club in the morning, she briefly considers going less often. But she quickly decides against it, claiming she's not good enough to afford to skip any practice. She starts putting herself down, saying, quote, I'm lazy at heart, so I tend to slack off unless I push myself to train a little every day, end quote. Uh, a something, something that Shiro does not push back on. He's just like, well, I guess she'd know herself the best. I, like, I don't blame Shiro for not pushing back. Because, like, a lot of this route is about, like... Shiro is somebody who has continually followed, like, the lines of propriety with regards to every relationship he has been following, especially in this route. Like, y- you don't push too far or intrude in other people's lives. You you keep that boundary where it is. That's why he has actively avoided thinking about the fact that he is interested in Sakura for all of this time, because, like, that's, that's not where the bounds of propriety are. Um, and so, like, we don't see Shiro pushing here because he still struggles with that line of propriety and like we see him finally hit a point where he is like no fuck that like when uh or later when rin's like you're it's a family thing you need to butt the fuck out and he basically goes no fuck you (laughs) and so like this is a route that has been in large part about how like yeah the bounds of propriety are stupid when people are suffering and, like, following them just leaves and abandons people to that suffering. And, like, Shiro has not yet learned that, even though he wants to. Yeah, I think the I think the thing I'm struggling with here is that, like, we have gone through two roots of Shiro so far. Yeah! It's like oh, yeah. All, and so it's it's hard, it's, it's easy to, like, read this in comparison to how much he's, his character has already gone through. And forget that, like, oh, I need to reset my expectations back to, like, original Shiro. Yeah, I, I think that is part of it. Like, this is not a time loop scenario. Like, it, it is explicitly not that. That's that's yeah. next game. Um, <laughs> this is explicitly a alternate realities or alternate pathways. And, like... Everything is happening in the context of, like, things shifting one way or the other could ra- wildly change the outcome here. But I think I think seeing, at the very least, Unlimited Blade Works is important because it shows us a version of what Shiro could end up like if he doesn't take the Heaven's Field route. Like, yeah. I, there is a point later where, like, for everything or everything we wanted from the Unlimited Blade Works route, where we were like, Shiro, you stupid fucking bitch, pick something else. Oh my god. Like, he does. This is the route where he does pick something else. And we go, oh, thank god. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. 
Um, uh, th- this is this is the route that explicitly just says fuck unlimited blade works. This is the route we wanted. This whole game is the thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, heavens, like I feel like I'm being rewarded for my hope, even if I was like never really. If I didn't have, I didn't have faith, but I had hope. I didn't think it would go through with it or pull the trigger. And then it said, no, nah, we also think Shiro had the first two roots were, was a bitch who needs to reckon with his actions. Uh, and I went, oh, thank God. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think like, it is really hard to, there is a couple of scenes with soccer in this route that were really painful to read. Um, and like, this, even just her, like, casually putting herself down. So, Sakura is hard to read in general in the same sort of way Shinji is, where she is a very precisely and well... I don't, Well-written is maybe wrong. A very precisely targeted writing of somebody who has been abused for, like, a decade plus. Yeah. Like, th- there is a very... Sp- there is very specific habits and patterns of behavior she follows that are like textbook almost where it's like, Oh, you like, you are aiming for a specific thing. It's not like this is something that can be mapped onto it. Like, no, it it is, it is very explicitly being targeted and aimed at with precision. And this is one of those that like casual self denigration that like seems, you know, it's like, maybe a little off-color joke, but, like, it's not something that in polite company anybody can really say anything about. And it's only in context where it, like, becomes deeply sad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, even if I want Shiro to be not a bitch, like, I get why he isn't here. Yeah, that's true. We... At this point, we have more context than Shiro does, thanks to the interludes. So Right. Shiro doesn't... Like, all Shiro knows about Sakura's relationship right now is what he has literally seen on screen, which is Shinji is... Shinji just recently crossed the line, as far as he's aware. Um, at which point, he had Sakura stay at his place, away from Shinji as best he can. Uh, he can't really force her to not go back to her brother, because, like, that's family, and that's still her choice. Uh, he's still not really sure where the bounds of propriety are and he has like has to fight against shinji uh, a person who he has some degree of relationship with even if like he does seem to fucking hate shinji this time through um like all we've seen on screen so far is like shinji crossed a line but sakura is unwilling to take a next step or like do anything about it and so Shinji's or Shiro's not able to really do much other than just literally have her removed from the situation like he has already. Yeah. Um. So uh, during lunch break at school, Shiro runs into Rin, who asks him to come to the roof with her. She tells him Caster hasn't actually disappeared. Coma incidents happened again yesterday. In fact, they are even worse than before. Rin doesn't believe Shiro is lying or was tricked, but she says she and Archer saw a shadow that looked like Caster when they went to the scene of the incident. The atmosphere at Ryoto Temple is different, and the only thing she's sure of is that Caster still exists despite being defeated. She also feels this Holy Grail War is different than it's supposed to be. She's decided not to fall... Yeah, it's different (laughs) this time, Rin? Uh Weird. Yeah. 
She's decided not to follow the rules of the war until she figures out what's really going on. She offers him a truce and shakes his hand. As he holds her hand, Shiro suddenly thinks about his dream of her, gets flustered, and immediately takes his hand back. Rin, immediately suspecting what he's nervous about, tells him she just figured out a bit more about his personality, but out of courtesy for him, she won't say it. Shiro says he's not intimidated and tells her just to just tell him what it is. Rin asks him if she if he's really sure about that, and Shiro quickly changes his mind. It's this uh, moment genuinely fucking rules. It's so fucking yeah, funny. This this one's really good. Just to mess with him, she says what she's thinking uh, anyway. Quote: "You're the type that masturbates to the girl you like, right?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So the other thing I really like about these multiple routes is it's not like. Each route is demarcated by, uh, this is the route where this person is interested in you, uh, without, like, like, Rin clearly is into Shiro, like, yeah, in every route. Like, there, there, there is an attraction in every route, it's just a matter of whether or not it's given a space to grow. There is an attraction between Saber and Shiro in every route, it's just a matter of whether it's given a chance to grow. And obviously there's an attraction between Sakura and Shiro in every route, it's just, again, a matter of whether if it's given the chance to grow. Yeah, so it, I, I do like that in every route, like, Rin is there just, like, messing with him because mm-hmm. she kind of likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, and in each route, it just manifests in a slightly different way. Yeah, it, it's, like, genuinely fun to see. It makes, like, the differences between these routes are interesting because, like, it is not a time loop. They are just, like, alternate ways this can break out. Yeah, I also like that once Rin figures out, like, what his relationship with Sakura actually is, Rin's like, well, I gotta help this dumbass. The the moment she clocks it, A, she immediately backs the fuck off, and B, is like, oh, you stupid fuck. Yeah, which we will get to in just a moment in the summary. Um, After that devastating blow, they both eat lunch together. Rin's taking some of his food, since there's so much of it. She notices how the wrapping and presentation looks feminine and asks if he made it. He says Sakura made him lunch. Since Rin is not a complete idiot, she suddenly realizes her faux pas, puts away her chopsticks, and leaves to let him eat the rest by himself. Uh, As he returns from lunch, he notices Rin and Sakura talking in the hallway. Rin is apologizing to Sakura. She explains she had just wanted to discuss some important news with Shiro, and she wouldn't have imposed if she knew Sakura had wanted to eat lunch with him. Shiro doesn't understand why she's apologizing, since he never promised to eat lunch with Sakura. Rin then has to explain to this absolute failure of a boy (laughs) that if Sakura made him lunch, she was hoping he'd actually eat lunch with her. It takes him a while, but eventually his two brain cells finally click into place and he realizes his mistake. Uh, he I like the image of Rin just, like, slapping his two brain cells like a flint and steel, trying to make a spark. Yeah, it's like, please, please figure it out. Please don't make me spell it out for you. I um, feel so bad for Sakura here, too, because, again, yeah. it's, like, another moment where, like, she has this massive inferiority complex with regards to Rin. Like, it, it is apparent in every scene where Rin and uh, uh, Sakura or where, Sak- or where Rin is just even mentioned around Sakura. Like, yeah. she has this massive inferiority complex and a massive degree of jealousy and, like, self-loathing because of how incredible Rin is and cannot help but compare herself to Rin. Because, like, 
of everything that happened for her. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Uh, yeah, and, and here the, the guy she likes just doesn't eat lunch with her because he forgot about it. Be, not be, not only because he was forgot about it, because he was, forgot about it and was off in private with yeah. the girl she has this massive inferiority complex about. Yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, he, he apologizes, but they've only got three minutes left. It's too late to eat, eat lunch together now. Sakura says it's okay and heads back to class. Before Rin leaves, she tells Shiro to go to the Chinese restaurant in the shopping district after school and wait there. What's coming next is one of one of the funniest scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Shiro, the Chinese place Rin is referring to is, is notorious for how oppressively spicy their food is. Shiro is dreading his upcoming meal, but was not expecting to find Kotamine Kyrie sitting at a table, chowing down on some spifey, uh, spicy tofu like it's nothing. He's just devouring his plate. Uh, Shiro just stares in silence for a moment, and eventually Kyrie asks, Do you want some? I love, I love, Kyrie I love, so I love this garbage much. man. <laughs> this, <laughs> like, like, just, it is like this big dramatic moment. The, the music is literally adding to like this, uh, uh, like drama. They lock eyes, and then he's just like, "You, you want a bite?" <laughs> it's so like Kyrie is just the epitome of my man is doing it for the lulls. It rules. Yeah. He's so fucking funny. <laughs> Uh, we'll get more of Kyrie, but, like, Heaven's Feel Kyrie is, like, almost a completely different character. Heaven's Feel Kyrie retroactively likes, it makes me like fake Kyrie more. Yeah. Like, honestly, to the point where, like, he might make my top five. Oh, he, I, he literally has <laughs> made my top five for Unlimited Blade Works. Or, or not Unlimited <laughs> Blade Works, for, uh, 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 Heaven's Feel already. I love him. He rules. He's, he's just a stupid bitch. <laughs> Uh, so Kyrie is here to talk to him about the current servant situation. He believes Assassin was there on the night Shiro defeated Castor. The Assassin class can conceal its presence so that even Saber wouldn't be able to sense him. In exchange for this information, Kyrie asks Shiro what he knows. Shiro agrees to his demands, but first asks a question. How would Kyrie know this if he himself didn't have a servant? Without a second thought, Kyrie reveals that Assassin defeated his servant, Lancer, at the temple. Uh, which, like, I like this because um, when, I can't remember if it was Saber or, or Rin, I think it might have been Saber, who told uh, Shiro, like, look, Kyrie is not a good person, but if you ask him a question, he will answer it. <laughs> Kyrie is a bad no matter person what it is. because he just does the thing he wants to do. And, yeah. like, it turns out the thing he wants to, like, Kyrie is consistent because he will always just do the thing that he wants. And, like, he, he will pick a straight line to the goal he wants, and the goal he wants is Shiro having a bad fucking time. And it turns out just telling Shiro the truth is the easiest way to make him have a bad time because he'll just make himself suffer. And, like, yeah. Kyrie has clocked that right away, and it's just like, oh, I can just, I can sit back and just say shit, man. It rules. Yeah, also, like, what I what I kind of like about this this Kyrie in Heaven's Feel, and he, and he kind of had this in the other roots, is that Kyrie won't, like, outright 
lie to you. He will he will omit specific information if you do not specifically ask for it. He he will but give you, you exactly what you ask for and nothing more. Like yeah. and if you don't know how to ask for more, that's your fault. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I I love. I love how he is an asshole in that specific way. Yeah, like, like uh, uh, he manages to be a prick who fucks everything up and make you still feel like it's your fault. And you know the fact that you feel like it's your fault just makes him think it's funnier. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, The other thing is, I wish Shiro had said yes because I wanted to know if he would have actually shared his tofu. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Kirei claims that now that his servant is gone, he's no longer an enemy. Uh, Shiro then recaps the events that transpired since he made a contract with Saber. Kirie takes a specific interest in Zoken and is surprised he's still active. He reveals that the Mato family's specialty is absorption, and Zoken was a prominent bug user. Zoken uses his specialty to feed on the blood of others. While this lets him prolong his life, he's now on the verge of death still and can't even walk in daylight. Uh, he was ne- uh, he was never a master himself, but worked as an advisor for the family. With the knowledge that Zoken is active, Kyrie tells Shiro he'll work to suppress the damage. Shiro is skeptical due to him being a master until just now. However, Kyrie insists he didn't want the Grail himself. His intent was to give the Grail to a more appropriate desirer. With Lancer gone, though, he's no longer pursuing that objective, and will leave it to the other masters to decide. He does reveal, though, that he'd prefer Rin or Shiro to obtain the Grail. Quote, We are the same, you and I, he said. He says, As we do not have clear wishes, we cannot seek salvation. Suddenly, their conversation is interrupted by a waiter bringing Kyrie two more plates of Mapo tofu. It's so Kyrie again asks Shiro if he wants some. <laughs> Shiro refuses, and the scene ends. Um, okay, so there, there's a couple of things that I think are particularly interesting in this scene here. Uh, one, it's that Kyrie is the best character in this fucking game. <laughs> Two, uh, this is where he mentions Zoken has been around for like six generations, right? Yeah, he's been around for a really long-ass time. Um... I think it is important that the one remnant of a true mage family, uh, and who is around, like, not Rin, who is, like, abandoned by her family uh, because her dad died and raised by a weird fucking broken priest who's probably pretty evil, um, and raised her wrong because he thought it was funny. Yeah, um, it, it's 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 the uh, God. It's it's the joke from oh, why can't Kung, Kung Pao enter the fist? I trained I trained her wrong as a joke. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like kind of. Yeah, um, like the one indication we have of a real mage family, uh, even a mage family fallen from grace, is the Matos, is Zokin Matel. And, like, he is a vampiric, consumptive monster, desperately clinging to life, desperately clinging to a way to maintain his way of being that is mandatorily uh, built upon the blood and livelihood of others. Like, that is what mages are. 
That that is what a mage family is. Yeah, like the Zoken is the most true Magus we've ever seen. Yes, Zoken is not atypical. Zoken is the model for mage er, that mages are built on. Zoken is like Zoken's goal is why the Grail was made in the first place. Zoken's goal is like the reason a Holy Grail is chased in mythology to begin with. Yeah. Like we'll uh, get to it later. Like his goal is true immortality. That's like the thing you chase the Grail for. Yeah, like that. That's literally in the Indiana Jones film about the Holy Grail. Right. Like. <laughs> Zoken is what a mage should be. Everyone else is the one who is broken. Yeah, which makes a particular speech Rin makes in one of these days interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, the one to Shinji? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. I I think that is an interesting perspective she has. Yeah, Because it it is almost directly contrary to things she says in Fate. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I was thinking that same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's interlude time now. Uh, we're back in the bug room. Uh, Shinji enters the room with a body. Um, it's it's kept mysterious who this is, but I, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. This is Sakura. Yep. That he has. Um, it's not very mysterious. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty clear. Um. We, uh, before the, before, uh, the game addresses why Shinji is there, um, we get an explanation for how the worms work. Um, uh, I will quote part of it, I will quote part of it verbatim, uh, but I, not all I of think it we need to do a it's... content warning first. Oh, yeah, is, uh, honestly, um... a, a content, from, from this whole point on, actually, content warning for sexual abuse and assault and just... Abuse, uh, in general, uh, abuse of a child, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else there is, uh, cause there's, like, a, a pretty broad array, um, yeah, abuse of a minor. It, it's uh, mostly this, it's mostly gonna be sexual abuse, though, yes. that we're gonna be talking about from here on mm-hmm. out. It's, it's a lot. Th- uh, this quote will probably be the most graphic it gets, but if you don't want to hear it, like, skip ahead what 30 seconds like a, or so yeah like a minute or so probably is fine mm-hmm. um so uh the quote is these are the lust worms that his grandfather mato zoken raises that love human blood semen and and marrow once swarmed by these lust worms men will have their spine crushed brain sucked and will be made into a cripple the worms will transform when attacking a woman so that they are only able to violate her nerves. They will spread their tentacles all over her body and devour her spirit. I. It then goes on to be less e- euphemistic about what exactly they do, but I think you understand what Nasu is going for here. Um, like, they're just, they're just tentacle rape worms, and it's fucking They're, they're tentacle rape mind break worms. Is the yeah. thing they literally got. They, they even look like little penises yes. in, in the uh, art. They, uh, they, uh, to be clear, they look like little penises in the same way that uh, alien babies look like penises. Yeah. Like, yeah. these are... <sighs> okay, so, we'll get into this again later. I have been revising my initial reaction to the first sex scene in the context of this route. 
because it does feel like Nasu is trying to do something with regards to sex and erotic horror. There is an attempt to do something there because these sex scenes are almost all largely operating from Sakura's perspective rather than Shiro's. Like, Shiro, or Sakura is placed in the position of the aggressor in every sex scene. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it, Sakura is actually who Rin was in that first sex scene. I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, that does seem to be the implication. Uh, uh, um, so she is framed as the aggressor with Shiro put in the position that uh, the women generally are in the first two sex scenes. Uh, every depiction of, like, sex depicted as an act of violence makes more sense for Sakura's perspective because that's how it has been historically. Uh, uh, every act of sex and every indication of sex being a uh, an act of uh, horror is like, A thing that makes sense in the context for her as somebody who is who was sexually assaulted. Um, I don't know that it works, but there is something that is being attempted to work here, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um... I, I don't like it. I want to be clear here. I fucking hate the lust worms. I think they're bad. I think they're gross. I think yeah. just everything about them is gratuitous and feels like it's intended for titillation but it feels less like nasu thinks or, or like nasu is horny for this and more like nasu was told to horny up a thing that he had originally had be more horrifying um by an editor if that makes sense maybe uh, I, I don't I, know i, I mean like... it I, I don't know if that's actually the case, and I don't think it matters. It, it just, like, it feels texturally different than, like, the gratuitous nature of, like, that first sex scene with Rin, Saber, and Shiro. I mean, yeah, that's true, but also, like, this feels just more like his tendencies for how he threatens female characters just mm -hmm. bumped up to 11. You know, like, oh, he, yeah. he already had... Like, twice now we've, we've had scenes where, like, villain characters threaten to have the mm -hmm. female characters raped if, if they lose. Oh, um, yeah, for and sure. This just, and this just feels like a sort of natural progression for, like, shit he's already written that, I, like, didn't have anything to do with sex scenes. I, I agree. Um, I, I think he has a bad habit of applying sexual peril as, like, the ultimate form of peril and as a means of quick drama and edginess um yeah so like even if this wasn't an arrow gay i i don't know if the lust worms would have been changed all that drastically. oh yeah no I, I i i think the lust worms are bad in general like i don't think the lust worms should exist i, I think they are a bad thing as a whole i, I just feel like heaven's feel specifically is attempting to do more about sex than the other two roots was the yeah. only point I was making. Like, yeah. it, the the sexual peril is still bad, but it feels like he is at least engaging with it more than zero. True. Um, I I just kind of wish he didn't because I think he sucks. Uh, yes. Uh huh. <laughs> He's very bad at it. Uh, yeah. It, it it like it's not good. It, I want to be clear here and very explicit. I do not think it's good. I do not think he is successful. 
I just I, I do, you don't have to hand it to him. I just want to <laughs> be thorough in my <laughs> examination of the work. That's fair. Um, so uh, I'm just going to move on because that's really all we need to know about those things. Um, They're bad. When, when Shinji throws Sakura into the pit, though, the worms scatter as if afraid of her. Um, Shinji orders Sakura to make him a new book. After a long silence, Ryder is summoned again in a flash of light. Uh, we uh, go back to Shiro on his way home. Um, Ilya is following him and eventually has to jump in front of him to get his attention. He totally forgot about meeting her in the park. Uh, as an apology, Shiro invites her to his house instead. Uh, Ilya showed him her cas castle after all, so it's his turn to show him his home. Show her I... his home. Gosh. Uh... Ilya asks if it's really okay for the girl who is tasked with killing him to go to his house. However, Shiro believes it's the right thing to do. Ilya seems happy about this and agrees to visit. At the entrance, Shiro tells Ilya to wait outside until he's convinced Saber. Saber, understandably, is not easy to convince. Uh, however, <laughs> Shiro's... Rules. Yeah, so what, one I, I won't go too deep into it, but one presentation thing I like about this is that, like, um, Saber's, like, artwork is, like, really zoomed in as if she's getting all up in Shiro's face, and her, her font is, like, normal size, but Shiro's is, like, unusually tiny to, to like, uh -huh. illustrate the fact that Shiro is, like, very much intimidated by by Saber at this moment. It's so funny. Yeah. It, it, it's, like, genuinely really fun ways to use the medium. Uh, and, and, like, the voice acting, I think, sells it, too. Like, yeah. it, it's just a great scene of them just, like, kind of bantering a little bit and sure being like, no, listen, I know it's a stupid idea, but also, like, it is important to me. And Saber is just, like, very matter-of-factly laying out every single way in which it's the stupidest fucking idea possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shiro insists, insists, though, that whoever the Einsburns may be, Ilya shouldn't be treated the same as them. Saber concedes that he's correct on that point, and reluctantly agrees to let Ilya in, since she knows he'd just use a command spell if she continued to protest. Uh, she will not be in Ilya's presence, though. Instead, she will stand by in the guest room in case of an emergency. I do love that she's like, I will cut a child if I see her. So, like, I'm going <laughs> to <Yeah>. leave. <laughs> Ilya comes in and Shiro treats her to tea and snacks. Uh, afterwards, Shiro takes her on a tour of, a, of the house, which is actually pretty, fr pretty funny because, like, Ilya ends up, like... I love this scene. Accidentally insulting his house. <laughs> I love every part of this scene. Le legitimately, this is one of my favorite scenes in yeah. Hansfield so far. Ilya is a really, really fun character in this scene. <laughs> Ilya is a fun character, and like, also I think this scene is really important uh, for a yeah. lot of reasons. Um, yeah, it, I, I will expand when we finish with the summary for this scene. Yeah, so... Um... By the end of the tour, Ilya's energy kind of runs out, and she looks tired. She tells she tells Shiro, quote, I came to take revenge, but it's sad that the person to take revenge on isn't here anymore, end quote. 
After musing for a moment about not understanding why she's shedding tears at that thought, Ilya tells Shiro it's time for her to go home. The sun is setting and they'll have to fight if she's around when night falls. As Shiro sees her off to the park, he wonders if there is a way to separate Ilya from the Einsburn's obsessions, and if there is a way to quench her desire for revenge. Yeah, so like... Is this where Shiro clocks why, uh, uh, why she is so mad about Kiritsugu? Yeah, because, like, I- I'm pretty sure it is. Because, like, he he already knows that... Because Kirei told him that uh, Kiritsugu was basically a dot... Was taken in by the Einsburns and even produced an heir for them who would... Mm-hmm. Who was supposed to be more suited for fighting. Um, so, like, I think he clearly understands that Ilya is the Einsburns' heir. Yeah, but, like... At the very least, even if Shiro hasn't fully put it together yet, or, like, oh, I mean, there's enough for us as the audience to put it together. And also, like, Shiro has a habit of, like, having information and recognizing it and not acknowledging difficult truths. You know, like, we'll see later. And, like, we've seen in every route. Like, it is to the point where I'm willing to be like, yeah, it is a character trait of Shiro's where he just doesn't acknowledge things that he thinks are hard to inter- or acknowledge, which is interesting to a degree. Um, yeah, but I, I, I do I do think he understands this, though, that, like, yeah. Ilya is is so mad at Kuritsugu because Kuritsugu was her dad, and he basically abandoned her to the Einsburns. He, he abandoned her to the Einsburns, and it feels like he picked Shiro over her. Yeah. Like, that, that is why she has wanted revenge on Shiro. But also, like, Shiro is the only person who has ever treated her like anything close to family. And, yeah. like, she is so desperate to that. That is why, like, she is the way she is around him. Uh, um, Like, Shiro, even if he doesn't acknowledge it, acts like family with her. And, like, that is why he cares for her the way he does. Because, like, okay, so... I think this scene is fundamentally important for the structure of Heaven's Feel so far, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is Ilya finally having a chance to reckon with the futility of her vengeance. Um, Her vengeance, which is inherently bound up in this centuries-long, nonsensical feud built by these old motherfuckers who just want to use these children in their never-ending blood war. Like, it it is her finally reckoning with the fact that, like, uh, yeah, there's no one here to take revenge on. There's nothing here for her in that vengeance. And, like, that ends up standing in as metonymy for Sakura and uh, uh, the... Uh, Mato family, like, for Rin and the Tosaka family. These are all children brought into this fucking violent war for no reason, forced to be a part of it, when there's nothing there for them. And, like, this is the first moment where we see that all laid out plain for somebody. That the thing that they thought was there for them is empty and hollow. And, like, the thing that it takes to realize that is being exposed to the cost of that war, being exposed to what it loses them. And like, 
what it loses Ilya here is the ability for Shiro to be her brother in a real way. The ability for Kiritsugu to stick around and be her dad. The fact that he's not here anymore at all. Uh, we'll yeah. see. Like, like, this... The relationship between Ilya and Shiro is, I guess, spoilers for a thing we're going to talk about in 20 minutes, uh, is going to be reflective of the relationship between Rin and Sakura. Like... They are in the same position, only uh, uh, Shiro is the one who had the good life instead of Sakura. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, there is that that resentment and that vulnerability of, yeah, you were adopted out, you got to leave this shitty situation, you got to be freed from this and live the good life. And I didn't. I had a fucking miserable existence, and it's it's not your fault but I'm going to blame you because blaming the people who are responsible for it, I it feels like I can't do anything about. I can't reach them. I can't touch them. And so I'm going to lash out at you instead. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like all these kids were forced into this war and it's like, yeah, they, n none of like the, the, the teen main characters actually have a wish for no. the rail. Like, Shiro was only fighting for the Grail so Saber could get her wish and also to, like, stop it as quickly as possible. Rin just wants to win the Grail so she can prove she's the best. She doesn't actually have a wish for it. Rin wants... Rin doesn't even really want to win! Rin just <laughs> feels like she is obligated to win because that is the person that she has to be. And the, the form yeah. she is obligated to be a part of by the fucking generational... Uh, 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 weight that is put upon her sakura yeah. doesn't want to fight because she feels like she is not allowed to want anything yeah so sakura will eventually like get something ha have a reason to have a wish for the grail but like that's just her her wish is just going to be to undo something done to her so that I someone else could get the grail even day <laughs> like... nine uh, even day nine she is not actively chasing the grail yeah, that's She true. only threatens to fight Rin when uh, Shiro is threatened. Yeah. And, like, Ilya... Ilya is just told that this is something she has to do. She is in a similar position to Rin, where she is, like, obligated to by familial weight. Yeah. Like, none, of, none of them actually have their own wishes that they right, want like, the Grail for. The, the Grail is a thing that they are forced to chase by these families, by these systems of power. They are used as tools, and because they are being instrumentalized in that way, their own desires are so subsumed that they can't even wish for anything when they're given the worlds to want. Yeah. Huh. I, it, like, th this is the shit where I'm like, oh, Heaven's Field might be the route where the game becomes good, because it's starting <laughs> to do things like this. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so I, I think this scene where... Ilya and Shiro are given a moment to be together and like for Ilya to see what she had been denied her whole life and realize that like it's empty and that there's no going back and that like not only is there no way killing anybody can bring anything back but also like there's nobody left to take vengeance on like is the first moment we see of any of these kids reckoning with the fact that their ideals are hollow yeah they are it, things handed down to them yeah and it's the growth that we've been hoping to see from Ilya, who's a character that like had a lot of potential but it was never really capitalized on the other roots 
Yeah, and, and like, it, it is mirroring that growth we're going to see from Shiro. Like, that, that reckoning that, like, oh, th- these ideals came from somewhere else. Uh, it, that they're not a thing that I can get anything from. And maybe it's time to set them aside. Um, yeah, so, um, you have anything more you want to say about that scene? No, I, I'll have more to come back to regarding this when we hit Shiro's big moment, um, but... Yeah, and which is also, like, the second Ilya scene. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Which is also fantastic. Uh, uh, hey, it's great when Ilya's in this route and they let her actually do things. Yeah, it turns out Ilya, yeah. when they give her, like, things to do instead of being a weird child, is great! Yeah, yeah, and, like, I also do like that I can sort of set aside my concerns about, like, what Ilya's age is actually supposed to be, because, like, she's just genuinely adorable in uh-huh. these scenes, um, in, in a way that isn't, doesn't set off my, like, weird Are you about to do alarms. some whack-ass shit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Uh, anyway, uh, Shiro returns home to find Sakura sleeping on the living room floor. Shira assumes she must be ex- just exhausted from working too hard and quietly moves past her. He takes a blanket from his room and drapes it over her. Sakura reacts, still half asleep, by sitting up and draping her arms across Shiro. Uh, we're treated to yet another of Shiro's I'm having horny thoughts in her monologues for a bit, uh, but we are thankfully saved by Saber showing up. Uh, in shock at her arrival in the living room, Shiro jumps back and lands on top of the table. Uh, in one of the funniest Saber jokes, uh, she compliments him on his form, as if he's performing in an acrobatics competition. It's so fucking funny! <laughs> uh, Shiro suggests they train in the dojo, and Saber, who doesn't seem to realize what just happens, uh, what just happened, happily agrees. Uh, we cut next to shortly after the training, with a now-rested Sakura scolding Shiro for nearly breaking his finger during training. As she bandages his finger, she asks Saber if she couldn't have gone easier on Shiro. Saber explains she was doing precisely what Shiro wanted, and the jam finger was partially his own fault for wanting to train and then not concentrating at all. I like how I like how defensive Saber is about this. It's like I was doing what I was supposed to do. I mean she's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, they all sit down for tea, and Saber asks, asks why Taiga hasn't been around. Uh, Shiro says he doesn't know the details, but she has to visit the hospital. Saber is in the middle of explaining her plans for future training sessions, but she suddenly stops when she notices Sakura, who appears to be having trouble breathing. Shiro initially assumes she's sick due to overwork again, but quickly realizes she still looks healthy and her body temperature is normal. Sakura insists she's just been sleepy today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, later that evening, Shiro and Saber go out on patrol, hoping to find Castor and defeat her for good. At an intersection a little ways from his house, uh, 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 Saber senses a servant about five minutes away. Uh, Saber leads the way, and they arrive at a park where the air is so polluted... Uh, Sorry, I'm losing my place here. Uh, Alright, Saber leads the way and they arrive at a park where the air is so polluted with bad energy that Shiro nearly vomits. Rin, Archer, and Zoken are also here. Shiro notices dozens of very small objects surrounding both Rin and Archer. 
he deduces that Zoken must be in the middle of attacking them. Zoken realizes he cannot survive a battle with two servants and immediately summons Caster to his side. Saber tells him Caster's abilities and appearance are still the same, but she does not feel her will or soul. It's just an imitation made from her corpse that Zoken is puppeting around. Zoken next reveals his desire to make Saber into his slave, allowing his worms to eat her alive. As if they had made a plan already in just a few seconds, Archer and Saber attack in unison. Saber kills Caster, while Archer targets Zoken to prevent him from using Caster's sacrifice as a chance to escape. Archer cuts his body in half, yet he still lives. However, before Archer can deliver a finishing blow, the entire park is covered in darkness, and everyone, even Zoken, halts at the new presence. Shiro turns around and sees a strange, shadow-like entity. It is formed of ribbons cascading down from a rounded top. The ribbons are completely black, save for a thin red outline uh, around the edges. Space seems to distort around the entity. It's unclear if it's it's, it's even alive. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I do think it's interesting that before this thing shows up, they'd won. Like, clean. Like, it it was game over for Zoken. They were about to straight up fucking kill him. Uh, uh, Archer and Saber together just fucking won everything. Zoken didn't have a chance to get his pieces into place. Nothing worked out. Like, game over. They win. They if this thing doesn't show up, they go on and win the Grail War. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, he Shiro can't shake the feeling that he's seen this thing before. Zoken, uh, I should note that, like, when he thinks that, we get a flash of, like, the weird um, sort of black hole with, like, the shadow tower reaching up toward it that Shiro saw back in his dream of the events of the fire 10 years ago i mean that that's like pretty obviously Um, the corrupted grail from the favorite right yes yeah uh yeah because it it looks the because it looks the same as like the when the corrupted grails gate is opened um uh uh, zoken however is the most shocked of all uh continually screaming impossible as he tries to crawl away Everyone else, even Archer and Saber, are unable to move, entranced by fear. Suddenly, its ribbons fling out like tentacles towards Rin. Shiro shoves her out of the way and is immediately engulfed by darkness. He feels like he's sinking into the sea, but the sea water is hot, like boiling coal tar. The text of the game turns red and auto-advances, just like what happened when Shiro's mind started, to get in, started getting infected by the black tar from the grail in, in the Fate Root. Uh, after, a, after a while, he wakes up to Rin asking if he's okay and trying to slap him awake. Shiro asks what happened, and Rin says the entity vanished as soon as he stepped into its shadow and fainted. Rin also tells him it's only been ten seconds since he pushed her out of the way. One thing I did want to say is that uh, that auto-advancing red text is, like, some genuinely fun and disconcerting stream-of-consciousness writing. Like, uh, I I don't remember all of it because I wasn't able to catch a screenshot of it, but it's, like, transitions to, like, uh, uh, images of, like, eating a raw, rotten rabbit and, like, consuming that and then rabbits being people uh, and going to the store to be slaughtered. And it's just, like genuinely disconcerting to read um and like 
when this game is leaning towards horror, it is so much better than when it's doing like generic fantasy stuff. Like when it lets itself lean into like it's fucked up horror. Like when Nasu lets himself lean into that and like put that edge to a purpose, it feels so much better to me. Yeah. Um and also when he's not being gross about it. Like well, yeah, yes, and, when and, he's and not this, being gross about it. Yeah, and like this just sort of proves that he doesn't need to be like he he he's perfectly good at doing horror without trying to add that like shock value to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. Uh, where was I? Ah, yes. Uh. <clears throat> uh Archer reveals that uh, since Shiro didn't touch the main body of the entity, all it could do is make him ill. Saber asks him if he knows what it is. Archer claims he doesn't know exactly, but it's almost certainly what's been draining the town since Castor died. He adds that this time seems to, uh, he adds that this seems to be no time to pursue personal grudges. So thankfully, we won't have to deal with Archer being a murderous dickhead in this route. <laughs> so I also think this is important because we've seen Archer in Unlimited Blade Works is like he is as we established when we talked about Unlimited Blade Works. Archer is Shiro following his ideals to their ultimate epitome. And it fundamentally breaks him so badly that he is willing to undo causality and murder himself in order to stop that. Like, Archer is the fundamental culmination of the ideal that Shiro interpreted from Kiritsugu. Mind you, the ideal that Kiritsugu abandoned um, upon realizing that it was a foolish and soulless one. Um, So, like... He is so broken by this, and yet the moment, the moment that, like, a threat appears, uh, the thing the counter-guardians are made to stop, he immediately abandons that and returns to his goals of taking care of other people. Like, he is so fundamentally the ideals that Shiro, of Shiro as a superhero, that, like, even with his objective right in front of him, he cannot abandon that still. Like, yeah, she, Archer is the Shiro that could never, ever put down the ideals of being a superhero. Yeah, that, that's the also, that's also the interesting thing about this scene is that, like, uh, we got a lot of talk in the Limited Blade Works about the fact that uh, Shiro became a guardian um, and mm-hmm. summoned, like, when uh, the world is, like, in danger of having some sort of, like, disaster happen to it. Uh that's not like natural. Um, mm-hmm. and it's always been like vague about what that means. Exactly. Here we get a little more, uh, a bit more of a hint about what that could possibly be. Um, uh, Archer also says like, Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm here as it's starting this time. I'm not here in the thick of it. Maybe there is a way to stop things that isn't just killing a bunch of people. Yeah. Like, also, what's interesting is that like, uh, because Saber doesn't know what she just saw, uh, this actually gives Archer a clue as to the fact that there's something weird about Saber's existence as a heroic spirit. Because he's like, oh, you must not be a guardian yet, because otherwise you would have already faced something like this. Right. Uh, like, oh, right. You're, like, technically not really a guardian spirit. You're just a person who's here until you get the grail, at which point then you become a guardian spirit. Yeah. Uh, 
Before the teams part ways, Archer remarks that, quote, No, it's not, it's not that hopeless. It has not occurred yet. I might be able to finish it beforehand, or I might end up cleaning up after the event. I have a chance of stopping it this time, end quote. Uh, which, as you said, implies that, like, oh, because he because he's here as a heroic spirit who is actually summoned before the disaster has occurred already, uh, which normally mm-hmm. he'd be summoned, like, after everything bad has gone down. Uh, so he's like, oh, I might actually be able to, like, do something about it. Yeah, that, like, that was the thing that broke him about being a counter-guardian. Like, he, he is only able to... Uh only able to ever clean up and do more murder. Um, and, like, now he has a chance to make things better. Yeah, and, and, and he, like, and he like looks, like, surprisingly wistful and, and a little hopeful about it, which is not a feeling that Archer typically expresses. Um, when Saber and Shiro return home, Sakura is awake. She tells Saber she hasn't ex- asked exactly what's going on uh, because she knew that they wouldn't tell her the truth. However, she can clearly tell Shiro is injured this time. She asks Saber if she can resolve her problems without involving Shiro. Saber goes silent and Shiro heads back to his room. Uh, as he goes to sleep, he feels like there's someone next to him whispering in his ear, but he can't quite make out the words. Quote, did it apologize? It's my fault. Did it apologize? I'm sorry. Is all he can hear before he falls asleep. Um, again, very, very heavy implications that like soccer is just st- like sneaking into his room. Um, I mean, yeah, I think this is one of those moments where it is actually like ambiguous. Uh, um, like it, it is unclear if it is soccer who's apologizing here or if it's Saber who's apologizing here. Yeah. Which is like interesting. Like, like I, that's I think true because Saber where does sleep in the room next to him, so it could be Saber. Yeah, but like I think that ambiguity is like actually interesting here because either one of them could apologize, could be apologizing here, and both of them apologize later. Yeah, um, we get an interlude from a random civilian who is returning home at night. A mysterious presence drives her to the park as if controlling her subco- subconscious desires. Right as she arrives at the park, she's assaulted by the lust worms. After the worms finish eating her, her body stands up and transforms into Zokin. Assassin is also here, and Nasu uses his presence as a justification to have Zokin do a bunch of exposition, explaining how his body replacement works. Uh, basically, the blueprint Zokin is using to recreate his body is stored in his soul. However, since his soul is slowly rotting... Um, the replacement becomes less and less effective as time passes. He wants the Grail so he can obtain true immortality. At the end of this interlude, Assassin offers his services as a servant to Zokin. Yeah, I, uh, I think, again, this is like a moment of, like, magic can't work miracles. Like, yeah. it, it can delay things, it can do some fucked up shit, but, like you're still subject to entropic decay. Like, you're gonna break down eventually, and all you can do is steal other people's life force to keep you alive. Yeah. Um, No matter what you do, you you can only do so much. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Day 8. 
Um, Shiro wakes up, feeling much better now. Sakura has made breakfast for Shiro and Saber, but she won't be eating with them. Shiro says it's not right for her to not eat as well when she prepared the meal. She explains she said something awful to Saber last night because of the terrible condition he was in. She can't face Saber today, so she intends to go to school before Saber wakes up. She also reveals that Saber actually apologized last night for her carelessness, but Sakura still believes she was being unfair. Shiro says neither of them should feel bad, since it was his own actions that got him injured. He also explains that Saber only apologizes to someone if she truly sees their point, and that Saber does like Sakura and appreciates her hard work. Sakura says that since Saber didn't scold her, she must scold herself. She's going to clean the archery dojo as punishment for being mean to Saber. Oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, after she leaves, Shiro wonders what Sakura could have possibly said to get her to impose such a penalty on herself. Oh, my fucking God. When Saber wakes up and Shiro asks her what happened, Saber explains she didn't consider it to be an argument, since she believes Sakura was correct. Uh, but she understands how Sakura might have seen it as a quarrel. Saber tells him that Sakura merely pointed out how uh, that pointed out that Saber didn't have the skill to protect him. Although Shiro assures her it's not her fault, Saber still feels guilty that she must continue bringing him into battle regardless of Sakura's wishes. Uh, yeah, uh, I I really like um, both how Sakura and Saber are kind of, like, contrasted in this scene. Uh, um, yeah, I, I really like that this highlights, like, the read I'd had of Sakura before. Uh, like, I, I talked about, like, uh, oh, yeah, like, you know, Sakura is, like, this person who built up a persona that, like, wildly punishes herself at every possible turn because she views it as, at, like, any possible slight or desire because, like, she thinks she has to. Like, hey, what if that's just textual now? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like this scene a lot because, like, it highlights that Saber, like, is to a degree a less extreme version of it. Like, we saw that in the Fate Root of her, like, holding responsibility for things that were ultimately not her fault. Um, and we'll get we'll get a scene about responsibility for actions later. Yeah, um, she'll, she'll, she'll directly admit it as as well. Oh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about the discussion with Kyrie in the church. Oh, that 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 too. But like, there is literally a scene where Saber's like, "Yeah, I understand where Sakura is coming from." <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the scene? Oh no, I'm thinking of the later scene where she talks about uh, Sakura placing too much blame on herself. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Uh, one of Saber's final scenes. <laughs> uh, <sighs> at least, at least for now. Um, final scenes, and then very much not her final scene. <laughs> uh, Shiro turns on the news, which informs us that thirty more people are in comas. Shiro observes that, unlike Castor, who made an effort to ensure the people she was draining stayed alive. This entity has no such concerns. He tells Saber he wants to place a higher priority on dealing with the entity than winning the Grail War. Saber is not happy about this, but she'll protect him if that's what he wants to do. She warns him, though, that it would be easier to fight even Berserker than the mysterious entity. 
She does not know exactly what it is, but she feels like it is, quote, the ill star itself. It is like an inescapable curse that destroys everything, end quote. Again, we've heard the word curse before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pretty much exclusively tied to the grail. Weird, right? Uh, At school... probably not relevant. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, At school, more people are absent, and even Taiga doesn't seem to have her usual energy. During a self-study session, Taiga takes Shiro aside and asks him if he's okay. Quote, it feels like there's a train we have to get on together, but you're still at the platform and I'm waving goodbye to you, end quote. Uh, which is <laughs> I a surprisingly like an insightful like metaphor for Taiga to make. I uh, love this Fujine scene uh, because like... I- this scene basically is just her telling Shira, like, hey, don't worry about cooking for me. I'm going to be out of the game for the rest of it. You don't have to worry about me not being on screen. Yeah. Um, but, like, we see, oh, hey, a crisis has started happening, and she is, like, very clearly trying not to make it clear to Shiro that, like, she is very clearly, like, concerned as fuck about whatever is happening. Yeah. Or at least that's how I read it. Uh, and, like, we see, oh, hey, like, She's like an actual adult. Like, yeah, this is the most this is the most serious she's ever been. She she is like an actual adult, and like it immediately becomes apparent. Oh, hey, she is like acting like a, a goofball here intentionally so that Shiro doesn't worry, um, and like is actually being responsible and like deeply cares for the people she believes to be responsible for, and like. Also, the implication of, like, yeah, Shiro, you need to fucking shit or get off the pot um, is, like, <laughs> yeah, man, that's the thing we've been saying for two roots. Yeah. Um, Shiro says he's fine and tells her she should get some get some more rest. Taiga says he won't have to make meals for her for a while since she'll be working overtime and won't be able to visit. At lunch, Shiro meets up with Rin, who agrees they can't ignore the shadow. She suggests they divide the workload. He'll keep doing his nightly patrols, and she'll go after Zoken. She's very familiar with the Mateau family's magic, so it'll be safe, much safer for her to investigate their house than Shiro. She's also relieved to hear that Sakura will still be staying at Shiro's place. After school, Shiro and Sakura go shopping for meal ingredients together. Uh, we cut to an interlude where Rin is infiltrating the Mateau house. Although the pact between their families should mean nothing during a Grail War, she can't help but feel a little guilty about going against her dad's orders for the first time. The only thing she truly regrets, though, is not coming here sooner. She, yeah, she, there, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we'll get more context for why. <laughs> well, she even says, like, the moment she breaks that, like, there's a realization of, like, oh, this never mattered in the first place my dad is gone yeah i I should have done this way before now yeah like there is an implication in what she says that she was like avoiding it yeah like and uh there's a part where she specifically thinks that she feels remorse toward someone who has endured the Mateau family for over 10 years, which is obviously uh-huh. Sakura. What? No, what? <laughs> no, no. It's probably someone we haven't met yet. <laughs> uh, there's a uh, neat callback to Archer actually being Shiro at, at this scene, actually. Um, 
as Archer is able to quickly analyze the structure of the house and inform Rin of any hidden spaces she should investigate. Uh, just a, like a neat little thing. It's like, oh yeah, that happened during the prologue. Mm-hmm. Um, she starts at the worm room, but Zoken has apparently already left the premises. As she heads to the ground floor to leave, she notices Shinji and tells him to reveal himself. Uh, she confronts him and demands he answer why he became a master. He hesitates to tell her the truth, but she figures it out for him. He just wanted the Grail to give him a magic circuit. Uh, she tells him the difference between him and Shiro is that she's certain Shiro will... She's, sorry, she's certain that Shinji will never be a Magus. He just doesn't have the talent. Ha having Shiro compared favorably to, uh, to him sets Shinji off, but he doesn't dare do anything other than stew in his frustration. Attacking Rin would be suicide. Uh, before she leaves, Rin explains exactly what she means. Quote, Those who aim farther for others' sake, those who think of the others before themselves, and those who hate themselves more than anyone else, these are the qualities of a magus. There is a, there is a place you can't reach, no matter how much talent you have. End quote. Um, yeah, this is, I think, super vital, because, like, this is the opposite of what she tells Shiro in the beginning in the prologue. Yeah, like, all three of the things she mentions are explicitly not qualities of Maguses, as she has explained in earlier and other roots. Right, and like I, I think it is important because like the thing is in those other roots, when she gives those explanations, it's way earlier in the Grail War. It's like day two, three, maybe four. Like, we're yeah, on day, usually day eight now. Four. Yeah, usually uh, We're on day eight now, and, like, she has had exposure to Shiro, she has had exposure to Kyrie, she has had exposure to the Grail War as a whole, and to what it's done to people. And, like, she is forced to reckon with the fact that, like, oh, what I've been taught a Magus is, is, like, foul. And so she has actively redefined what she thinks a good Magus is. Yeah, I also felt here a little bit of like, I, I, I don't think Rin's only talking about Shiro when she says those who no. hate themselves more than anyone. Uh -uh. <laughs> she, I think she is talking very much about herself. Yeah. I, I think she is talking very much about herself. I think she is talking about Archer. Like, I, I, I think it, like, I think that's the thing. Like, she is not talking about any one person because every good Magus she's known, uh, herself, Shiro, Archer, even Kyrie and everything she's heard about Kiritsugu, like, has been somebody who is full of this deep self-loathing and continually prioritizes others over themselves. Yeah. And, like, honey, no, that's, like, a bad goal to aim for, but, like, <laughs> it's better than what you previously were thinking of, so, like... Baby steps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back at the Emiya household, uh, Shiro is playing rock, paper, scissors with Sakura to decide who will cook dinner. Uh, Sakura wins, so she'll be making the meal. As Sakura prepares uh, the meal, Shiro thinks to himself about how these peaceful, trivial moments in his life have become important to him, and he'll do whatever he can to protect Sakura. Before Saber and Shiro leave to investigate Ryudo Temple in the evening, Saber voices her concerns about Sakura. She feels her guilty conscience is too strong. 
She places too much blame on herself and punishes herself for her errors instead of simply correcting her behavior. Shiro gets the sense that Saber is at least partly speaking from personal experience. Uh, Saber also believes she is liberated from these feelings only when she is with Shiro. However, she should be able to live with pride without relying on someone else. Saber making very good points here. Uh, yeah. Soon after they reach the temple and start investigating. So, oh, actually, let's go ahead and yeah, go ahead and talk about yeah, this so, before we move on. So there is a, a, a the full quote uh, there is that Sakura places too much blame on herself. She punishes herself for her errors instead of correcting them. She brands herself with her dishonor rather than working to recover her honor. She burdens herself in a good way and a bad way. She is only not like that with you. Um, and Shiro says, I see Sakura is certainly too shy. And it's like, you stupid motherfucker. That's not what she's saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that is important to highlight there because like Saber is highlighting part of what the issue with Sakura is. It's not just she was abused. It's that her methodology of coping is inherently self-destructive. Um, like there is no work if she genuinely believes she's done wrong what she should be doing is putting effort into correcting and repairing what she has harmed and instead she is unable to see any worth in anything she does and so she just self-flagellates instead yeah um and because she thinks everything about her is evil like anything she does is going to result in that self-flagellation like it, it, and like she even is highlighting like yeah it's not it's not bad to like reckon with your errors and like want them to not be errors but like taking them in in this way self-flagellating like this not actively correcting is not only hurting yourself it is a easier and b it is not fixing anything for yeah. anyone um and then shiro just literally misses the point and it's <laughs> it, it is the most frustrated i've been at shiro i think in any point in the game yeah. someone just flatly laying out hey you can't see this because when she is with you she is performing and like is better poor saber but, like, her, this her is master how she is, is a like, dumbass <laughs> i know and like shiro just goes yup you're right she is shy and it's like you stupid motherfucker shyness is not the issue here yeah yeah, that is not what Saber is going for at all. Like, uh, okay, so the reason that line specifically is frustrating for me is because I, when we, Shiro finds out about her being abused, he is explicitly not surprised. Uh, and he even says, I'm not surprised because, like, the moment you start to think about it, oh, it, it all makes sense everything slots into place and like immediately logically makes sense. Yeah. He, he explicitly uh, said if, he was just trying to pretend like nothing was wrong. So he was just uh, yeah. like, he was just I, coming up with an excuse excuses for himself about like why he shouldn't worry about it. Uh, yeah. And so like, it is maybe the most blatant, like that's why this is frustrating to me rather than just like nonsensical. It's like, Oh, this is immediately read to me as like, yeah, Shiro is being willfully ignorant here. Like, he, he is choosing not to acknowledge that there is a serious, severe issue here because he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, and that that is frustrating. Like, I get why he doesn't want to, but it is still frustrating to see. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
let me see here. Oh, yes. Um, so soon after uh, the two of them reach the Ryudo Temple and start investigating, Saber notices danger. She shoves Shiro out of the way and closes a steel-like door behind him, preventing him from entering where she is. She tells him to she tells him to keep himself safe, since the enemy will only target target him. It's not the shadow entity, but a servant that's a natural enemy of masters. She has to fight assassin one on one. Despite her warning, Shiro strengthens a stick he finds on the ground with the intent to break down the door. He gets an ominous feeling that tells him it's a mistake to leave Saber by herself. At that moment, total darkness envelops the area, and the smell of rotten meat and sounds of bugs assaults his senses. Mato Zoken has arrived. Uh, Assassin is no match for Saber, and soon completely runs out of daggers to throw at her. However, when he stops running, Saber also stops advancing, her instincts telling her she'll be in grave danger if she continues forward. Assassin uses this opportunity to reveal to Saber that his fight with her was a ruse to get Shiro alone with Zoken. Saber releases her wind, preparing to fire a projectile attack to kill Assassin. However, Assassin rushes her and targets her neck. She's forced to divert her attack into a block. Uh, Assassin, however, only did this to distract her from the real attack. The shadow entity has expanded underneath her, and darkness begins to swallow Saber up. Assassin reveals that the shadow is Al-Lail, the true knight, uh, spelled A-L-L-A-Y-L. No servant can oppose it. Before she disappears completely, Assassin tries to take her heart. However, she cuts his ludicrously long arm off before it can reach her. I do like the detail that, like, Assassin's bandaged up arm is actually, like, just one extremely long arm that he folds up. It's very yeah. creepy. It's gross. I hate it. It rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, however, she no longer has uh, any energy left to escape, and she's completely engulfed by the shadow. Goodbye, Saber. Yeah, and I mean, like, it, it came down to a choice. Where, like, she could either escape and then get killed by Assassin and consumed that way, or she can stop Assassin and, like, be consumed by the shadow and like she picks the one that won't strengthen assassin yeah which probably a a good call well i mean we see what's what we see what happens so you know maybe we'll see um with the information she had probably the good the, the right call um meanwhile shiro is facing off against zoken trying to decide what to do zoken has covered the outside of the temple they're in with thousands of worms If he were to order them to attack Shiro, he'd surely die. Not knowing what's happened to Saber, Shiro decides to trust in her abilities and wait for her to finish her battle with Assassin. Seeing his trust in Saber, Zoken decides to test his endurance. He steps back and fades into the darkness created by the Worm Swarm. Soon, Shiro realizes the sound of wind has died down, and pain shoots through the command spell on his hand. Zoken reappears and tell him, tells him he should be able to tell that Saber has been eliminated. He tries to activate a command spell, but nothing happens. Zoken taunts Shiro more, causing him to lash out in anger and attack. However, Assassin blocks him and sends him flying backwards. Assassin throws knives at Shiro to finish him off, but they're blocked by a silver weapon. At first, Shiro thinks Saber has survived, but it's Ryder that reveals herself. 
She begins so fucking cool, dude. Yeah, she begins to fight with Assassin, but something's different. Shiro knows her power level, and Assassin should pose a difficult fight for her. But instead, she easily dodges Assassin's daggers, not even needing to repel them. Assassin confirms that she's different than she was before. Ryder pierces Assassin with a dagger, then uses her attached chain to swing him around like a flail. He's smashed against every surface of the room. After breaking every bone in his body, Ryder flings him out of the temple. It's not enough to kill him, but it will prevent him from fighting. Realizing he's outmatched, Zoken quickly retreats and the worms disappear as well. Uh, mm-hmm. With the battle over, Shiro realizes Saber is truly gone. Ryder tells him to wait, since it's dangerous to go alone. He asks why she helped him, and she tells him her orders are not to let him die. He touches the bloodstain, marking the place where Saber disappeared and feels pangs of guilt. She agreed to prioritize investigating the Shadow over winning the war, despite her misgivings, and now she's gone because of his decisions. As soon as he acknowledges the loss, his command spell disappears. He's lost the right to be a master. Uh, As he leaves the temple, Ryder tells him she'll escort him home. It's dangerous to walk alone at night, even with the enemy gone. He asks if that's an order from her master, too. She says it's not. It's a whim of hers, nothing more. He tells her she doesn't have to do that. They're enemies, and he doesn't want to get further in debt to her. Ryder, confused, asks him if he still intends to fight the war, even without a servant. He doesn't answer, but Ryder understands and tells him to be careful. Before he leaves, he thanks Ryder for saving him. He returns home safely to find Sakura waiting for him. He tells her he was just taking a walk. She offers to make him some tea. Uh, He accepts and he apologizes for going out without telling her. However, the pain in Shiro's stomach causes him to vomit up the tea and he can't hide his injuries from her. At first... Sakura is flustered to see him with his shirt off, but her desire to treat his wounds overpowers her embarrassment. Um, uh, let's see. Sorry. Um, uh, once she's done with her treatment, uh, Sakura asks him if Saber went home. He, he says it was sudden, but yeah, she went home and she won't be coming back. He tells her that Saber thought she was being too hard on herself and should take it easy. Sakura says she wished she could have said goodbye, since they recently made up. However, she's somewhat glad that Saber is gone, since now Shiro won't be going out and getting hurt. Unfortunately, Shiro tells her that Saber was helping him, not the other way around. He still intends on going out at night. In fact, he'll be leaving the house a lot more often starting tomorrow, but Sakura can still keep using his place like like she has been. Uh, after, yeah. uh, after Shiro goes to sleep, we get an interlude with Sakura. She knows whatever happened was severe, and Shiro is hiding something. As she goes to bed, she feels something like a fever come over her. However, its source is the hatred she feels rising up inside her for, her, for whoever hurt Shiro. As her thoughts turn to Shiro again, she imagines his body and pretends to run her, run her hand agro- across his bare back. She briefly brings her other hand between her legs, but quickly pulls it back as if ashamed. She apologizes to Shiro for her thoughts. However, a heat takes over her body again. Quote, 
The heat invades her brain and melts her memory, intelligence, reason, and morals, making her think of only one thing, end quote. She begins to masturbate as she imagines Shiro's wounded body, despite feeling guilty about doing so. She, th she thinks about how Saber won't be coming back, and Shiro is all hers again. After she climaxes, she, thinks, she tries to think of a way to keep Shiro from going outside. She decides that if someone is so injured that they can't walk, they can't get in any further danger. Uh, we should probably so, talk about this before moving on. Yeah. So, the thing about Sakura is, she is, despite not being Catholic, has the most Catholic guilt about sex I've ever seen with anyone ever. Um, I mean, this... This in many is... in many respects, this is just like a worse version of like Hanukkah's issues in yes fucking well, uh... Godfrey. <laughs> yes, um, there is one aspect that I think is different though. That's true, uh, and it's like... it is that uh, in her apologizing to Shiro for even starting to have sexual desire for him, it demonstrates that like her understanding of like sexual desire is that it is, it is only ever a threat. Like it, it is wanting somebody is an act of violence in and of itself to her. Yeah, that's true. Like Hanukkah's backstory isn't, isn't of abuse so much as it is of like, um, shame. Yeah. Like Hanukkah's is very specifically about the shame that is generated around sex and sexual desire in and of itself because of the way uh, uh, society frames sexual desire, especially sexual desire for women. Yeah. Uh, this is literally uh, and very explicitly about a shame that is ingrained in her because of the only ways she has been allowed to engage with sex, which is as violence. Um, and so like a lot of a large portion of that shame comes from that, uh, uh, from the fact that, she has always felt like she has never been allowed to desire anything and that desiring something in and of itself is an act of violence. Like, and we see that expanded just to her desiring in general. Um, but like, <sighs> yeah, my issue here is like with some of the, some of the things that Nasu uses to frame this moment. Like there's a reason yeah. that I quoted, I pulled the quote that I did where it talks yep. about melting memory, intelligence, reason, and morals. Like, oh, yeah, it is uh -huh. telling that morals specifically is included in that uh, list. So, my slight pushback, at the very least, is that the interludes are framed from the perspective... This interlude specifically is framed from Sakura's perspective, uh, and with Sakura's interiority... And, like, yeah, to her, it is immoral. It, it is immoral to Sakura to desire Shiro. Like, it, it is literally a thing she is only ever able to equate with violence. And so, like, her desiring Shiro is something she has been trained to find as an immoral action. And, like, everything she does regarding sexual desire is immoral and violent. And, again... I. I do not think Nasu does this particularly gracefully or well. <sighs> but I, I, I don't know. I, I have... I am less bothered by it, I think, than you are in that... Bec 
because I, I don't think the game is necessarily saying that it is correct. It so much as I am saying that like yeah, it's Sakura's morals and perspective are warped and not healthy for her, but it is still something that she finds immoral. Yeah, I am maybe just not willing to give Nasu that credit, especially since like the context of the scenes with the 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 tentacle rape worms. Yeah, and, and also the fact that like the scenes with um like the uh both Rin and Saber like show a hesitance um and a, and a demureness um that doesn't exist here like mm-hmm. uh Sakura's the way that Sakura is feeling manifest are like I I cannot help compare them to the ones that have come before. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's like, t- to me, I don't know if this is Nasu's intent, but it, it, it does, it does stand out to me that the quote unquote normal versions of like sex scenes that uh, Nasu does do not look like this at all. Oh yeah. No, I, I want to be clear here, like, what I had said before, like, from that initial sex scene of, like, the framing of sexual aggression as, like, a negative thing, or, like, even just active sexual desire as a negative thing, it is, like, still deeply fucking whack, because it is coming in this context, and, like, it it is framed as, like, an inherent, as a wrong or a twisted way of engaging with sex, like, it, it is still whacking a fucked up engagement it, it is just also doing more than just being that was all i was trying to highlight yeah i it's definitely trying to communicate more than that and like the scene we'll get at the end of day nine also does that um but at the same yes. time well I'll, I'll talk about what i i'll talk about my cynical opinions of the day nine scene <laughs> when we get to it i guess uh, uh yeah uh-huh uh, uh but yeah like i I, I think you are right. Like, I, I want to be clear here. I do not disagree with you. I think you are right in that, like, especially in the context of previous sex scenes, like, it betrays an attitude towards sex and towards female sexual desire that is, like, whack and gross as fuck. Um, yeah, like, it's just that I feel like both this scene and the scene that we will get to in, in Day 9 imply that, like, the only reason that, uh, that's... Or, or at least the, or at least the main reason why Sakura like is horny like this is because of the sexual abuse. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that she is not a virgin. Um, uh, yes, mm-hmm. I, I desperately wish that it did not frame it like that. Like, I, I desperately wish she was just allowed to be a person who had sexual desire. Like despite that sexual assault and it wasn't like she has this sexual desire because she was abused yeah yeah like i i I think you are absolutely right i i again like i do not think you are wrong i i am i i think it as it stands right now i am maybe willing to give nasu a bit more rope to hang himself with (laughs) uh and see how this plays out yeah but like yeah I, i think you're not wrong i do agree with you though that like Every every scene like this so far that we've gotten in Heaven's Feel, and also the one that we'll talk about in Day Nine, like has 
significantly more narrative purpose than anything that has come before. Yes. Uh, Like, there is a reason for them to exist, at the very least. (laughs) This route, I think, not like... To be clear, these sex scenes are not good. They're not, like, titillating or, like, effective as either erotica or as, like, uh, deft or effective ways of discussing sex. But I think these are the first instances of sex scenes where, like, the root doesn't function without them. Yeah, like, like I understand why they were included. Like, e- even, even if... Like, he would have done something differently if he wasn't mandated to include them. He is at least tying them into the narrative so they feel core to it. Well, also, like, okay, so Heaven's Feel is the first route so far that feels like it is about the heroine protagonist. Yeah. Like, this route feels like it's about Sakura. Yeah. And, like, not only is this route about Sakura, like, this route is about sexual assault and, like, coping with that. Uh, again, not well. It's not doing that effectively, but it is about that. Mm-hmm. And like the, these sex scenes are about that. And like to not have them, I think you lose something. You you lose some of that focus. Yeah. It makes me um, really curious to find out what the heavens feel, how the heavens feel movie will will change things. Because like, there's no way they they put those scenes in the heavens feel right. movie. Like, it's, you, there's you no way cannot. it's gonna happen. And, and, like, I am genuinely curious what this game looks like without that. Because, like, this is the first moment where yeah. I think it being an arrow gay changes what it is about. Or, or what it is. Yeah. Like, these sex scenes do something in the work in a way that is, again, bad, but interesting. They are not excisable in the same way they are in Unlimited Blade Works and Fate. They are doing something here that is... Nasume, stay in your fucking lane. Write the shit you know about. Um, because it's not this. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, we next cut to an interlude with Kyrie. Oh, th- oh there, sorry, there was two other things I wanted to say. Yeah, go uh, ahead. One... I do appreciate that Sakura, like, there is a chasteness and a uh, uh, ethereality to the attraction both Saber and Rin have for Shiro, in that, like, I don't believe either of them are actually attracted to him, if that makes sense. Whereas, like, Sakura talks about, like, his body his broad shoulders and his body and like running her hand across his skin in a way where like, Oh, I, I believe she's attracted to him. I I believe there is an actual physical attraction here that was just not present at all. in the other two. I'm like, yeah, I remember because like the one time I think I thought Rin was actually doing that. You made the point that Rin didn't know at the time that was still, still hadn't figured out that Archer was Shiro. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> there is there is a physical attraction to Shiro here. Beyond, like, like, we've established that emotional intimacy, we've established that closeness, and then we also have established that, like, she is actually physically attracted to him in ways where, like, it is not just like, oh, I'm a person who masturbates. It is, this is a person with a body that I find attractive in ways that are, like, 
physical and beyond my necessarily conscious uh, uh, control in the way that physical attraction often is. And like (sighs) Nasu demonstrates that like in this scene better than I expected for, for a dude who has been entirely unable to convince me people are attracted to each other for two fucking roots. Yeah. Like, in this route, he has done a very solid job of making me buy this attraction that both of them have for each other. Yeah. I will say like the, the scene where like she is imagining like his back and his shoulders and stuff like, uh, very much reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in Kizumonogatari. <laughs> Uh, it, it is the closest this game has come to actually erotic. Yes. Like, her just talking about running her fingers over his broad shoulders, and then, like, also, like... Because that is the other part here, like, uh, uh, that is important, is we see that first hint of her... She resents Shiro still. She resents Shiro for not understanding that she is suffering, and, like, there is a small petty part of her that finds satisfaction in him being hurt because of that in him being hurt in a way that protects her yeah because because like when she's imagining his back she's also imagining his injuries and like that is also yes. kind of getting her off of it and, and like it, again like it is where all of like this gets really complicated for her in a way where i'm like oh honey you need like a hug and like six <laughs> years of therapy yeah to unpack all of this um and, and like that is also part of what makes that, like, desire really complicated for her because, like, her feelings around sex are warped. Like, th- they are warped in a way that it is hard for her to have physical relationships that are n- not violent, that are not consumptive because that is the only way she has understood sex. And so, like, that apology towards Shiro is not necessarily un- – unfounded is the wrong way. Like – her desire for Shiro to be harmed is not a good thing. Like that that is that is a petty emotion and it yeah. is good to recognize that as a petty emotion. Like like Saber was saying, it is good and healthy to recognize that as like not a great reaction and like, you know, maybe something to work on excising. Uh, I do think it is incredibly important to acknowledge she at least up to day 9 does not ever act on that. At any point. Yeah, because, like, I I was worried that, like, the part at the end where she's like, oh, if someone can't walk, they can't, like, go outside and get into more dangerous. And I was really dreading, like, oh, God, are we going to get, like, Yandere Sakura? Because that would be the worst possible way for this to go. But at least, closest at least so far ever, we haven't. The closest it ever comes is Ryder acting on her behalf. Yeah. And Sakura actively tries to stop that. To the point of literally self-destructing. Yeah. Like, uh, Sakura, despite having these petty, selfish emotions and actively punishing herself for them, does not ever act on them. And that is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, to, to me, at least. Like, she has yet to ever act on those emotions. And I personally think she should be allowed to do a little <laughs> bit of murder as a <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I will say I thought I thought the morning scene was going to go a lot different oh, than it did. <laughs> same. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention: uh, there is a lot of puppet imagery in this route. Yep. Uh, uh, she mentioned something about her like basically being like a puppet with her strings cut afterwards. 
Um, and like we get Shiro describing himself as a puppet earlier. Yeah, Cast- like, Caster is literally used as a puppet. Zoken talks about wanting to wanting to enslave Saber like a puppet. Uh huh. Uh-huh. We- weird how this root that is finally dealing with the ways that the children are instrumentalized and turned into tools of violence with no desires or will of their own uh, is engaging with them, reckoning with themselves as puppets. Yeah, Zoken himself is like almost a puppet because like his body isn't real. It's like worms his body is worms Mm -hmm. like and i hate it i hate i hate i hate everything about i hate bugs so much and i hate everything about zoken oh my fucking god i hate he's he's just an evil version of spider's man the spider-man that is made of spiders pretending to be peter parker (laughs) i hate spider's man too (laughs) correct it's bad oh there's there's the spiders who's trying to help (laughs) I don't want their help. I would rather <laughs> die. It's cool, Spiders Man. You can let me fall. <laughs> uh, and um, it, yeah, that, that's all I had to say about that scene. I'll have more to say about the later sex scene. Sure. This one's gonna be a long one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we we next cut to an interlude with Kyrie, who is writing a report for the association about the newest case of man- mass unconsciousness. There were 57 victims total, with five dead. Uh, rapid ex- escalation. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gilgamesh, uh, who remember is still here, <laughs> uh, advises Kyrie that he should he should take care of Zoken quickly. Um, he doesn't like it when people are killed by someone besides him. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, what a petty asshole. Uh, he doesn't like it. Uh, sorry, they briefly chat about how even though their motives are different, they both desire similar things from the Grail. Um, basically, they just both. They both want, like, Kyrie says here that he just wants to see people suffer. He thinks, su- he's like the Joker. He thinks suffering is funny. Um, uh, after Gilgamesh, the, guard, yeah. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting. Like, we see, like, the shades of Gilgamesh who is not a scumbuck here. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, the, Gilgamesh is, like, possessive and a piece of shit, but, like, he has boundaries, um, and those boundaries are other people killing the people he wants to kill. Yeah, we'll, we'll get more of that Gilgamesh in, in Fate Zero. Like, from what I remember, I think Fate, uh, Gilgamesh in Fate Zero is, like, a pretty fun antagonist. Um, mm-hmm. uh, after Gilgamesh leaves, Kyrie speaks a warning that he can no longer hear. There may be worthless things in the world, but nothing is meaningless. Believing otherwise will be Gilgamesh's downfall. Which, I mean, we already kind of know from <laughs> Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just like that Kyrie, like, deliberately waits to, to say something until Gilgamesh can no longer hear him. <laughs> it's a very villain monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, day nine. Uh, uh, sorry. Oh, uh, I, I'm just checking. I thought I had, like, notes here. Uh... Oh, sure. Go ahead. Oh, no, never mind. I didn't. All right. You're good. Uh, day nine. Uh, Shiro wakes up, his, ba- his back feeling much better, and heads to the kitchen. Sakura is already making breakfast and tells Shiro to go wash his face. As he heads to the bathroom, he hears Sakura collapse on the floor and comes rushing back. She tries to brush it off, but Shiro insists that she should rest and make a plan to call in sick for her. She says he's being reckless and that she's perfectly fine compared to him, who's still injured. However, she soon has trouble breathing and becomes unable to stand up. 
Shiro takes her to bed and then heads out to school. As he leaves, Sakura whispers to herself that she wants to go to school with him to protect him. On his way to school, he stops by Taiga's place to ask one of her housekeepers to look after Sakura while he's away. Um, I find this scene... Uh, just one thing to mention about this scene. This is the first one... This is the, like, the first time we find out that Taiga is, like, hella rich. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, like, her family has, like, a gigantic, basically, mansion house, and they have maids? Uh-huh. Uh. Honestly, even Shiro's house is, like, pretty, pretty friggin' big. Um. Yeah. Sh- Shiro, like, I-, I at least get the understanding that, like, Man, if if Kiritsugu didn't own that thing outright from being a huge murder boy, like, Shiro would be kind of fucked. Yeah. Um, and, and like... Because he still has to work, I, like, I, a part-time job. He's not yeah, loaded. Yeah, like, Shiro needs to buy food and shit still. Like... Yeah, he, he's not loaded like Rin or, like, Ilya or Taiga are. He, he is not loaded, and also, like, he has to be self-sufficient in a way other people don't. Yeah. Um... Uh, at lunch, Shiro tells Rin everything that happened last night. Rin is surprised Zoken didn't try to kill Shiro when he was alone. He should have tried to kill Shiro as quickly as possible. Rin suspects that Zoken wanted something out of Saber, so he didn't attack until Saber was already dealt with. Shiro then tells her that he intends to keep fighting the Grail War and needs her help. He asks if they can be allies. He knows he doesn't have much he can offer, but he promises to pay back Rin for his for her assistance for as long as he lives. Rin tries to be uh, tries to be evasive, but Shiro keeps gently nudging her to give give him a straight answer. She eventually agrees to it and lays down some terms. First, he needs to obey her, no matter what she tells him to do during a battle. He agrees to this. Second, he must trust her like how she'll be trusting him, no matter how ugly things get. He's fine with trusting her, but he wonders what she means by ugly. She explains he needs to be prepared to die or come close to dying. He says he'll try his best. Next, she asks if she can have his absolute obedience. In order to not lock yourself into a bad end, you must reject this demand. Yeah, if you say, uh, yes, he'll give absolute obedience, uh, she puts a Gaius on him, which is a magical compulsion to obey him, uh, or to obey her. We've all watched Code Gaius. Uh-huh. So, a Gaius is, uh, uh, originally Irish, I think, if I remember right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, uh, and it's, it's a little more complicated than just, like, a compulsion to obey. It's... Anyways, um, in this case, it is like a compulsion to obey, uh, and there is, I don't know the exact point where you'd hit the Tiger Dojo, but I'm guessing it's when, uh, Sakura is, uh, um, in the church. Yeah, yeah, probably, uh, uh, actually, let me, let me check the, I actually think it happens, um, well, let me check the root, actually. Here. I'm actually checking Tiger Dojo 31 right now. Oh, okay. Uh, trying to see where it happens. Oh. Yeah, it happens in the church. You're right. Yep. Yep. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah. I figured it'd either be there or at his house. Just because of what happens at his house. Um, yeah. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, so, uh, also, like, it turns out this was actually a test for Rin. She didn't want you, she wanted you to reject it. <laughs> uh, yep. Rin explains that she tends to do things her own way, so she wants someone to act as her breaks. Basically, she wants Shiro to act as someone, like, who will call her out if, if he thinks that she's making the wrong decision. Um, finally, Shiro promises to let her win the Grail. He has no use for it, after all, now that Saber is gone. With their alliance formed, Rin tells him he'll be coming to her house after school uh, every day to train. Uh, Rin takes him to her bedroom after school and begins rummaging through her belongings looking for materials to concentrate. Oh, actually, I should mention, um, before, uh, before the end of the scene where, like, they're talking about their alliance, um, and she says, oh yeah, you'll be coming over every day to train, um, Shiro's briefly like, wait, shit, I, 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 sh I should be going back home to check with Sakura. Um, but then he decides not to tell Rin about it, uh, cause he's like, it, cause he thinks it would look really poorly on him if he tried to cut out on their training on the first day, so he just doesn't mention it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, which is important for a later scene where Rin, when Rin finds out what he's hiding, uh, Right. Rin takes him to her bedroom after school and begins rummaging through her belongings, looking for materials to consecrate him with. Basically, she's trying to figure out, like, what magic he's good at. Uh, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> while she's searching, Shiro looks around the room and notices a photo of Rin as a child that she's left deliberately undisturbed, not even to clean. It still has, like, a layer of dust on it. Uh, he also notices the ribbons in her hair are different. Rin explains that holding her hair in place means holding her magical energy in place. Uh, since she doesn't, since uh, her family doesn't have mystic eyes, uh, she has to gather. She has to like do whatever she can to like gather the the, the magical energy that her body creates, basically. Um, yeah. The ribbon in the photo is the first one she ever made, but she parted with it for reasons she leaves vague. She begins the consecration and discovers that Shiro doesn't correspond to any of the five elements. Going any further is outside of her area of expertise, so she just stops and decides to figure out his specialty by seeing what magic he can currently use. The answer is sword, honey. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the answer is only sword. Uh, we get an abbreviated scene of Rin testing Shiro's magic, since it's largely what we've already seen. She decides to first teach him to create an on-off switch for his magic circuit. To create quickly, he'll need to stay overnight. Shiro wants to be helpful, so he asks Rin if it's okay to do it at his house, since he's worried about leaving Sakura alone. He's expecting Rin to get angry at him for having other priorities, but what actually happens is Rin gets angry at him for not telling her about Sakura sooner. She wouldn't have kept him at her house for so long if she knew ahead of time. She quickly puts on her coat and agrees to go over to his place since everything they need to do at her house is already done. Uh, we get an interlude now with Sakura taking place about an hour before Rin and Shiro start heading back to back to Emiya's uh, back to the Emiya household. Uh, she again feels a heat inside her coming not from herself but from something in her body crawling through her blood vessels and nerves. Suddenly, the alarms of the house go off and Shinji enters the living room. He tells her he wants to settle his match with Shiro, and he's sure uh, she wants to see him cry up close. She tries to resist and tells him that he promised not to do anything to Shiro, but he responds by kicking her in the stomach and uh, kidnaps her. 
Ranchiro. Yeah. Uh, Ranchiro arrive about half an hour late after Shinji has already kidnapped Sakura. They immediately sense something is wrong, and this is confirmed when Shiro can't find Sakura anywhere. In his head, Shiro berates himself for being so careless. At this moment, the phone rings and Shinji is on the other is on the other line. He demands that Shiro fight him again, this time without Saber. Ryder apparently hasn't informed him about Saber's demise. He agrees to come, but before he leaves, he asks Shinji if he considers himself to be a master or Sakura's brother. Shinji asks him why he'd ever be Sakura's brother. Rin doesn't stop him from going, uh, sorry, Rin doesn't stop Shiro from going, but she does insist on helping. If he can get Sakura away from Shinji, uh, she can help take care of Ryder and save them both. Shiro will go into the school first, and she'll follow after ten minutes. Shiro will try to keep them distracted so they don't notice her entering the boundary field. Shiro finds Shinji and Ryder in the third floor hallway. Shinji is holding Sakura at knife point. Shinji tells Shiro that he revealed everything about the Grail War and how they tried to kill each other. He promises to let Sakura go if Shiro fights Ryder. For some reason, Shiro believes this promise. Uh, As soon as their battle begins, Ryder lands a couple punches that render Shiro's arms nearly useless. Thankfully for him, Ryder seems to be going easy on him. He can sense there's more to it than that, though. The rider in front of oh. him now doesn't seem to be as strong as the one at the temple. This one feels um, more like the rider that Saber initially defeated. It is also important, I think, to acknowledge that uh, he strengthens, A, his clothing, um, but B, he also strengthens something that is underneath his clothing. Like, the implication being, oh, he is strengthening his body. Yeah. Um which is not something we've seen him do before. Yeah, we've seen. Uh, but he even like explicitly said we've, okay. we've seen Rin do it, um, but not him. Um, it, he even like uh, explicitly says, I think, like, yeah, his arm should have like snapped off, um, and it does not. Yeah. Um. Uh, thinking quickly, he pulls himself up by grabbing Ryder's arm after he nearly falls to the ground from one of her blows. This allows him to switch switch positions with her. So basically, he's on he's on the side like where Shinji would be, and she he she's where he initially was. Um, Shinji's getting bored and tells Ryder to land a knockout. Before she goes to attack, Ryder secretly secretly tells Shiro, "Quote: There are five more meters. Your patience has won out." End quote. He now realizes that Ryder's decision to not attack his head and make sure that even after taking her blows, he can still move it, he can still move his body was something Ryder did of her own volition. Her finishing blow sends Shiro flying backward towards Shinji, but it does not kill him nor render him unconscious. Immediately sensing Ryder's plan, Shiro turns around in midair and grabs Shinji's knife by the blade. He then uses his other hand to punch him in the face. Thank Christ someone did. Yeah. Uh, Sakura is freed from his clutches, and Rin and Archer arrive almost immediately after. Shinji accuses Shiro of lying about coming alone, but Rin says Shiro really did follow his orders. Rin came along of her own volition, since she couldn't help but hear Shinji's loud voice announcing his demands over the phone. There's no way she would stand by while Sakura was kidnapped. Shinji claims. She also goes like, 
also, it wasn't like a, a bargain or anything. You did say it was like an order, so like, why the fuck would he obey? Like, yeah, just, just the moment of like, yeah, man, why the fuck would he obey? It <laughs> is so funny. Yeah, uh, Shinji complains about everyone caring about Sakura instead of him, even though he claims to be a true master. Rin challenges him to prove that he's a legitimate master by healing a servant who Archer or injured as soon as he arrived. Shinji takes out his book of command spells and orders her to fight, but nothing happens. Unable to, si- uh, unable to stand the sight of Shinji torturing Ryder, Shiro rushes at him. S- Sakura begs them to stop, and Shinji's book suddenly turns to ash. At the same moment, a rush of wind billows out from Ryder, who stands up again, completely healed. Shinji asks why Ryder brought Sakura with her when she rushed back to Shinji. Ryder explains that as a servant, she protects her master. Shinji has lost the book and is a fraud of a master. Rin, Rin now has confirmation of something she had suspected for a while now. Sakura mm-hmm. is the true successor of the Mato family. Uh, Sakura is the one who had the command spell and simply transferred it to, to Shinji, ordering Ryder to obey him. Shinji demands that Sakura give him authority again, but Ryder moves to protect Sakura from his abuse. She tells him that if he, if he intends to harm Sakura, she will kill him. Ren explains further that it's impossible for Sakura to give Ryder to him, even if she wanted to. Sakura already transferred two command spells. If she transferred the last one, Ryder would be freed, and Shinji wouldn't be able to control her. Shinji refuses to give up, though, and tries to order Sakura to attack Renin Shiro. However, she rejects his order. He broke his promise to her that he wouldn't kill Shiro. Shinji tells her that, in that case, she can die. Shiro hears the sound of glass breaking, and Sakura suddenly falls to the floor. As Shinji escapes in the confusion, Shiro notices that some sort of chemical is flowing out of Sakura's broken earring. He starts to run towards Sakura, but Archer stops him, saying, quote, You will not be able to restore her if you feed her without care. End quote. As Shiro is about to ask what he means, the world around them suddenly turns a deep red. Shinji activated the ba- uh, Well, actually, I, I wrote here that Shinji activated the boundary field, but I actually think it's Sakura uh, that does it. It, it. Yes, it is not Shinji that accurate. Activates the boundary field. It is Sakura that activates it uh, uh, instinctually because of her need for magical energy because of the crest runs. Yeah. Um, so, like, it, it is just literally an automatic reaction on her beha- behalf because her basically her body is star- uh, like the analogy they use later is uh, she is suffocating without air, and so she starts instinctively trying to breathe other people's air. Yeah. Um. So now that now that Sakura is Ryder's master, the boundary field is much stronger. Uh, Archer demands that Ryder stand aside so he can stop Sakura from getting a taste of the magical energy gathered by the field. Ryder refuses, believing Archer intends to kill her. However, Archer argues that if she's left alone, she will certainly die due to using up magical energy at such a high rate. Ryder counters that if she feeds Rin to Sakura, she will gain more energy than she loses and survive. They begin to fight, and Shiro asks Rin if she's okay with this. Rin says they have no choice. As a fellow Magus, she has to prevent Sakura from becoming a heretic. Sakura is currently maintaining the boundary field, but she is just acting on survival instinct and attacking indiscriminately. Both servants are equally matched, but Ryder will win the War of Attrition. 
Sakura begs Ryder to stop attacking, but she tells her master she can't follow that order. Sakura's life takes priority above all else. Ryder removes her mask, revealing her mystic eyes. Rin immediately recognizes them as mystic eyes of petrification. Archer and Shiro both become paralyzed, and Shiro figures out Ryder's true identity, Medusa. Sakura starts unconsciously casting a spear-like magic, hit, magic attack directed straight at Rin, who has the most magical energy of anyone in the room, but Shiro intercept it, intercepts it by shoving her out of the way, taking the blow himself. Classic Shiro move. Uh, as he falls to the ground, Sakura freaks out. The boundary field dissipates, and Ryder ceases her attack. Shiro wakes up in the church where they all went after the battle. Kyrie is currently purifying Sakura of the chemical that was stored in her earring. Once he's done, he'll tend to Shiro's wounds. While they wait, Shiro asks Rin what she knows about Sakura. The Mato family started to decline as soon as they moved to Japan. Since they refused to take in an outsider, their bloodline produced children with less magical energy until it finally ran out. They started to look for an, for an outside apprentice after that, but it was too late. No one wanted to join a fallen family. Rin had a sister a year younger than her. Because of the pact between the Tosakas and the Matos, Rin's father gave, gave Sakura to the Matos and kept Rin as a Tosaka. This happened 11 years ago, and Rin was almost entirely prevented from seeing her sister from then on. Despite their family connection, though, Rin will dispose of her if she can't be cured. A Magus that attacks indiscriminately is a serious threat. Uh, just as Shiro is about to tell Rin she's no better than Shinji, Kyrie appears and tells them to shut the fuck up since Sakura is still recovering. Shut the fuck up, Five to Ten is talking. Yeah, uh, this, this, is, this is the other place where I got very mad at at Shiro for being like, ah, yes, Rin for for being pragmatic about something, which I think will, like, I think, I hope the root will show it is the wrong decision. But even still, for for being understandably pragmatic, you are just as bad as the brother that has been, like, physically abusing her for, like, a decade. <laughs> it's like, so, dude. So... I, I agree. He is being an asshole for having that reaction. I think he I think he recognizes that and that's why he bites it back. And I think it is also like nonsense that like that is like he is an asshole who is lashing out about a thing that like he himself is about to be hyper conflicted over and doesn't want to engage with, and so he is searching for any way to not have to engage with it because like as previously established, that's his main methodology for dealing with things he doesn't like is not ignore or not acknowledging them or paying attention to them or interacting with them and instead ignoring them. Yeah. Also, and, and so like also upon rereading my summary of, of these events, like um, I, I think he's also like equating when he asked um, Shinji who Sakura is to him. Um, right. Yes. That, that is the specific thing. Like, yeah, it, it is the abandonment of, uh, uh, familial ties that I think is so, uh, um, reprehensible, I, I guess is maybe the word I would use. Yeah. So I think he's, he's seeing those two things like mere, like he's seeing Rin kind of do the same thing in saying like, look, yeah, she's technically my family, but I've 
this is more important than that and just like equating the, the two things even though like Rin and Shinji arrive at that conclusion based on entirely different motivations yeah and, and like it is a knee-jerk reaction like he is wrong yeah it, it is unambiguous that he is wrong and that that is like an absurd reaction uh, it it feels like he like that is partly why he bites his tongue there because he knows he's wrong and he's being an asshole um And so, like, I, I get why he has that reaction, even if he is being a prick. Like, it at least makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, he should fucking stop it, though. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a prick, man. Um, Just be cool. Yeah, so, uh, Kyrie explains that there is a worm. Hold on. Everyone's up up now, so I'm closing my door for a little more silence. Um, okay. okay. Uh, Kyrie explains uh, that there is a worm inside Sakura's body called a crest worm. Uh, he likens it to an artificial sanshi, which is a bug said to inhabit a human body that reports their evil deeds to the judge of hell. It was originally just a harmless, low-ranked parasite whose only purpose was to tell its master whether its host still lived. Uh, basically, Zokin was just originally using it to track Sakura. Um, mm -hmm. For Shiro's benefit, Kyrie explains what happened to Sakura before he gives his diagnosis. The crest worm is undermining Sakura's nerves, likely the result of the 11 years it spent growing in her. The worm is now a nerve itself, entangled with her own and swarming throughout her body. It transformed into her magic's crest. In its suspended state, it has no effect on her, but once activated, it will violate her nerves and feed on her magical energy. If she had remained in that state for half a day, she would have died. After absorbing all her magical energy, the worm would then consume her body. The, poison, the chemical in her earring was designed to awaken the crest worm. Kyrie believes it was released as a punishment mechanism for abandoning battles as a master. Now that the worm has been activated, it will consume her if she does not fight in the Grail War. The only other option is to surgically remove the worm, but it has already integrated itself into her magic circuits. The only way to extract it would be to rely on a miracle or the Holy Grail. However, leaving it in would pose a problem. The only way to free Sakura from the threat and give her time to find a solution would be to defeat Zoken but Zoken would use the worm to puppet Sakura to defend himself. Kyrie doesn't like the idea of Zoken just getting away with his schemes, so he resolves to attempt the extraction himself. I love Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, man, that dude pisses me the fuck off, so I'm gonna fuck with him. Yeah. At this, Rin leaves the church to give Kyrie space to operate, but, Rin, but uh, Shiro stays behind. Kyrie is in no mood to put up with Shiro's whims and bluntly tells him that the surgery will never succeed unless he leaves Sakura alone for a bit. He explains that Sakura is a victim of sexual abuse who did her best to hide her past from him. The guilt she feels towards Shiro would likely prevent her from wanting to recover. He asks how Shiro could possibly think he could help when he was completely oblivious to her suffering for all this time. 
If he truly cares, he will leave the church and let Kyrie work. As he leaves, Kyrie warns him that even if the surgery succeeds, Sakura may lose control again. Shiro will need to decide what is more important to him, his ideals or Sakura. Outside the church, Archer basically says the same thing. Uh, yeah, so, um... Uh, is really good in this scene. <laughs> uh, is this the... This is the scene where he mentions uh, you, or, or where he brings up the woman Shiro brought back to the church to be saved, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he mentions uh, uh, you were responsible for that woman being alive, um, and the implication here is like, yeah, if you if you bring Sok, like if you help save Sakura, you are responsible for part of what she does. Like, uh, the actions she take are going to be a result of you having brought her back. Like, you can't run from your ideals being in conflict with this anymore. The act of bringing her here means that your ideals are already in conflict with your actions, and you need to pick a fucking side. Yeah, because al- although, like, Rin may seem cruel, she is right that, like, Sakura is very dangerous in, in this state, and also she is suffering horrendously. <laughs> Sakura, not only is Sakura suffering horrendously, she has given him the go-ahead already. She has explicitly told him, if I do something bad, I want you to be the one to stop me. I would be happy if you were the one to stop me. I want you to be the one to quote-unquote punish me. Like, there is a framing here for a a, a heroic tragedy uh, of... Uh, Shiro uh, of Sakura being a victim of circumstance, uh, uh, of violence who is pushed to a breaking point and thus uh, uh, ends up needing to die for the good of everyone with Shiro sacrificing everything he loves in order to protect a greater good, etc, etc, etc. And it ultimately being a sacrifice that Sakura is happy to have made because it means she won't harm anybody anymore. Yeah. Like, that setup is there. Yeah. It is there. It is gifted yeah. to him. And, and, uh, it is... Archer straight up says, like, that is the choice that he would make and... By extension, that is the choice Unlimited Blade work Shiro would make if yes. presented with this. Not only that, like, it is gifted. It is hand-wrapped and handed to him as, like, the easy way. It, it is literally the path of least resistance here for him to follow his ideals. Um, so much so that, like, there is a choice later that it literally it takes his success uh, in following his ideals as a matter of fact. Um uh, and so, like, it is interesting to me that the moment his ideals come into conflict with the real, with his actions, with his own actual desires, we immediately see that friction revealing those ideals as, like, naive and gormless. Like, they're, they're toothless is really what they are. And not only that, like, the ideal that Rin follows, uh, uh, that is the ideal Kiritsugu explicitly followed. That that kill one to save the many. Um, but also, that Kiritsugu explicitly abandoned. Yeah. And, like, that is something that Chiro has never really reckoned with. That, sh- that Kiritsugu had abandoned those ideals. That he chose to forgo them in order to save Shiro. To care for Shiro. Um... And I, I think, like, that is an important thing that he has yet to reckon with in any route. Yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna, like, deal with that more explicitly very soon here. Um, mm-hmm. Shiro goes to the park to be alone with his thoughts. He finally realizes how stupid he was for believing whatever Zoken told him, just because it was convenient for him. As he ponders what to do about Sakura, Ilya suddenly interrupts him. She wants to chat with him, but Shiro's not in the mood, so he tries to act coldly to her to push her away. He immediately regrets being so mean and is sure he's just ruined his relationship with her. But Ilya apologizes and pats his head. Quote, You're about to cry, Shiro. I don't know what's happened, but it'd be too bad if you it, it, it'd be too bad for you if I hate you. So I'll be your ally no matter what you do. It's natural to protect the ones you love, right? Ilya's words help Shiro come to dis- come to a decision. He wants to protect Sakura. Um, I really love this again, scene with Ilya. Yeah, again, we have this mirroring uh, uh, with Sakura, with Ilya, because she is, like, also a child who has been abused for more than a decade. Um, and, like, in a very real way, it has fractured her and it has broken her. Um, but, like, this moment of, like, him realizing, oh, I fucked up, uh, and thinking, it's absurd to think that, like, this is so dire an action that it will forever shatter their relationship, uh, um, but, like, he is in a fragile state, etc. Like, it makes sense that he feels that way, and also he has a bad habit of assigning dire consequences to small actions like yeah it makes sense that he reacts that way and her immediate reaction of like hey like no it's okay that you hurt me like that is how relationships work people hurt each other like i forgive you and i care about you and so like you are clearly hurting i want to care for you is like so important a reaction because it's not a thing we've seen before uh, in this game like people hurting and the reaction be and lashing out because of that hurt like indelibly causing harm like inarguably hurting people yeah like and shiro's reaction has always been like it's tragic but you have to stop them and like the reaction being like yeah stop them but like the ways you can stop them can be ways other than violence the ways you can stop people can be learning and helping to care for them in really meaningful ways yeah. like loving for them and or loving them and supporting them is genuinely so cathartic to finally see. Yeah. Also what I really like here is like Ilya's last line of it's natural protect to protect the ones you love. Right. That is straight up. Like what Kuritsugu told Shiro is like the realistic way to be a hero. He said like, you can only save the people who are in front of you. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to save the people who matter to you. And here Ilya is saying the exact same things as, like, her father did. Yes. Well, and also, like, it is a very real admission on her behalf, like, hey, I love and care for you, Shiro. Yeah. Like, it doesn't hit Shiro yet, but, like, it is a moment of significant vulnerability for her. Because it is, like, her explicitly acknowledging, like, yes, I'm not your enemy. Like, you're not in the Grail War anymore, and so, like, I don't have to fight you, and so, like, I can acknowledge, despite the fact that you were the person adopted by my father who abandoned me, like, yes, I love you, I care for you, and I will be your ally in the face of everything. 
like that that is genuine like that got a genuine significant emotional reaction for me because like seeing this girl who has been abused and uh, uh, abandoned like reach out to somebody who is suffering and saying like hey i empathize with you i care for you i want to help you and like that helping like it, it is it is so cathartic to see these kids actively care for each other in a world that does everything they it can to break them. Um, and and it, not that does everything it can to break them. That has broken them. Like, it, it is, every single one of these kids is broken in different ways. And it is so cathartic to see them finally have an opportunity to care for each other. Yeah. I also kind of like how, how this sort of mirrors like berserkers flashback and unlimited blade works yeah where like Ilya understands that what shiro is doing to her now is like a lesser version of what she was doing to berserker like she didn't actually mm-hmm. hate berserker it's just like he he was the one who happened to be around to, to like that that she would like unleash her frustration on um and now yeah, shiro but, but... is is doing the same thing that, that she once did just in like a less dramatic fashion yeah, like, there, it, it is, like, the most explicit statement of what has been, like, kind of an undercurrent throughout this whole route of, like, there is an empathy in shared pain that is valuable. In, in like, an understanding that, like, punishment is not a way to help care or fix people. And, like, this is also the first moment where, um, this in a moment where Shiro fucking realizes Zokin is the real enemy here, um, where Shiro's lack of hatred towards Shinji even comes close to working for me. Yeah, because like, because uh, uh, this is like the moment where he he's like, all this is fucking Zokin's fault. Like all of it, yes. I, and I I should never have believed him for a second. Why did I even take his word for anything? Yeah, and, and like the real is it like it, it is Zokin's fault that Shinji is warped the way he is, and like uh, punishing Shinji is like not. It is more forgiving than I want to be for uh, uh, Shinji, but it it is thematically consistent in a way it hasn't been before. Yeah, of like reckoning that Shinji is also a victim here, despite the way he also victimizes other people, and like there is a cycle of violence that is occurring here, and that the way of fixing that is by refusing to perpetuate that violence and instead caring for those who have been hurt. Yeah. Uh, it, it it is the thing I have been saying I wanted for <laughs> two fucking roots. Yeah. Um, also, I do think it is worth talking about what... There is actually a choice here. Yeah, I sort of figured this um, is what you were referring to. Um, I'd yes, be curious, because so I, is... I haven't taken any of the bad ends yet. Just because, like, I, I barely mm-hmm. managed to finish these three days in time to record. It, it, it is part of why I do uh, need so much time between roots, is I actually do... Uh, make an effort to see every bad end um because there is valuable stuff like here um where the uh, yeah. so there's a choice you can persist persist to be a superhero yeah y- yes when Ilya says uh, it is natural to take care of the ones you love uh shiro has a choice and he can persist in being a superhero or say i want to take care of sakura um and, and it is the most explicit moment uh, of the choice that uh, Archer has been saying is going to be coming to Shiro. Not only like this whole route, 
uh, in the past couple of days, but all of Unlimited Blade Works, too, of that moment of the friction hitting the real. Um, and if you choose to persist in being a superhero, uh, he goes back to the church and says, I would like to be the one to kill Sakura. And Rin says, no, I'm, it, it, I'm the supervisor here. She's my sister. It's a family thing. I, I need to be the one to do it. And Kyrie fucking is, like, being a chuckle fuck and, like, yucking it up the whole time. Uh, because he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, this isn't, like, the thing I wanted, but this is interesting, too. Uh, because you and Rin, you're going you're gonna to fight out this war, uh, and you're going to fight each other. And you're going to—one of you is going to kill each other, and the person who's going to win, it's going to be you, Shiro. Uh, because Rin is going to have to fight for the Holy Grail once she realizes that she has killed Sakura uh, and what she has done in killing Sakura. Um, it, and it's not clear what it is she has done in killing Sakura or why it would be so horrifying that she would need the Grail to rectify it. Um, but she's going to need the Grail. Uh, and you're going to be absolutely unwilling to give it to her because you've already abandoned people uh, in abandoning Sakura and you have solidified and calcified with what your ideals are. So it's a matter of fact, you're going to win. Uh, he even says, you're no longer Shiro Emiya, you're Kiritsugu Emiya. Uh, in that, like, like he is Kiritsugu Emiya reborn at this yeah, moment. Yeah, the, the Kiritsugu uh, and there that is... like, Kiryu used to know before he like turned his back mm -hmm. on the Grail. Uh, and there is a fade to black before he leaves the church, uh, with Shiro realizing he's right. I'm saying literally, uh, it's a matter of course. Uh, Shiro goes on to win the Grail War. He and Rin fight, and Shiro wins. Uh, because of course he does. It, it is not even shown. It is just an obvious fact that, like, yeah, if he if he is willing to burn everything, he's he wins. It, it is the easy route for him to hold on to this ideal. So easy that it's not even shown. Yeah. He he wins clean by burning everything. And like that is the moment that cements this to me of like, oh, everything that the previous words have shown us has been like the easiest path of least resistance. It, it is hard to forgive and care for those who do harm. It, it is easy to punish and sacrifice and burn those bridges it is hard near impossible to forgive and care for them in such a way as you break the violence that they want to inflict on others because of the violence that has been inflicted on them and part of that requires like putting yourself in harm's way in a real and material way because you care for yourself and because you care for others like it is it is the thing that cements, like, Shiro choosing to be a superhero as, like, blatantly... The bad thing. The wrong choice. Yeah. It, it is the thing I have been wanting the entire fucking game. Which, in retrospect, F makes the brilliant year's ending feel very bizarre and how, like, hopeful it is. Because, like, Archer's all like, well, maybe Rin will, like, fix him. And... I'm here thinking that that doesn't seem like it's something that is possible. <laughs> well, it, it makes that melancholy feel. It, it makes that it gives that melancholy that we both felt with the brilliant ears ending of and like that weird way of it sitting with us immediately slot into context so much better. Yeah, because it's like, oh, oh yeah, we were right to feel uncomfortable with that ending of like, because like. 
yeah, it's very reasonable he ends up in this way. Because that choice to be a superhero, like, uh, our hope for the Brilliant Years ending is that he hits this choice again down the line and makes the choice here. Yeah. Like, it, the, the entire hope that we have for the Brilliant Years ending is that there's still an off-ramp. Yeah, like, like, like that, his, that's all that there yeah, is. Yeah, we're, we're sort of hoping that, like, the the this like the lock-in point has been delayed <laughs> right and like that that cements that melancholy of like the brilliant years uh, uh, as the true ending as like that's why it makes sense to me as the true ending uh because it's the ending where that melancholy is still intact before you hit heaven's feel uh and it's why uh uh, uh what is the other sunny days calls? sunny days uh uh makes sense to me as the good ending because he's made that he's hit that off ramp already he's made that choice like like he has made that choice to like care for these two people yeah uh um and and so like that is why that like root uh or that ending as like both the good ending and the ending where it feels like there is not a continuation here slot into place in context even more so because it's like yeah there, there's not the need for the choice that is in that we hit right here. This is like this is the fulcrum point here in like a real and material way because it's the abandonment of the core ideals Shiro has solidified over two roots. Um, and I think it is important that it like the bad ending here is both explicitly the choice he has made the past two roots and also a thing that is a matter of course. Yeah. It, it is a matter of fact that he is successful here. Both because we've seen it happen twice and because it's the easy option. Uh, we cut to an interlude that takes place on day five. Uh, Sakura... Well, actually... Correction. So the interlude actually takes place at that current moment. It's just that Sakura is currently having a dream about what happened on day five. So, uh, Sakura was initially ordered to keep watch over Shiro to see if he had potential to be a master. Uh, Sakura soon discovered he had no aptitude, but she used her orders as an excuse to keep visiting him. She hoped there would be no need to fight him. However, after seeing that Shiro had made a contract with Saber, she returns to Zoken to ask if all masters must be killed. Surprisingly, he tells her that she can eliminate only the ones who'd be dangerous to keep alive. She may turn the others into her toys or puppets. Zoken encourages her to take what she wants. However, Sakura believes she is impure and not suited for Shiro. If she wishes for anything more than to stay by his side until someone more appropriate for him comes along, she believes that both of them will come to a bad end. She asks Zoken if Shinji can take her place as master. The previous worm room interlude we saw now begins at this point. Uh, Sakura wakes up lying on Kirei's operating table. So, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, there was just one thing I wanted to highlight there, which is like uh, uh, Zoken can only imagine. Like her. Ha- this is again highlighting like what I'd been harping on before of like her only conceptualization of desiring something is taking what you want. Um, like. That is how Zoken frames it here, uh, and she can't even imagine wanting something because wanting something implies like taking what you want implies like this act of violence inherent to it. Yeah. Um, and like she doesn't want to hurt people, 
she doesn't want to want things in a way that harms other people and can't conceptualize wanting things in a way where you share and are shared with in like a mutually beneficial and cared for way because she is an abused child yeah um so she wakes up on uh Kyrie's operating table uh, uh, Kyrie mm-hmm. tells her to get changed. Ren and Shiro are waiting in the next room for them to explain her current situation. He also tells Sakura he hopes she survives to the end of the war, as it will cause Ren and Shiro the most suffering. <laughs> <laughs> this fuck! I love him! Yeah. Uh, he's just doing it because he thinks it's fun, and, like, honestly, I love him for it. Uh, he just injects so much energy, this fucking nasty man. Yeah. He also tells her, like, hey, if you're not decided on what to do just yet, uh, you can easily hear conversations on the other side of this wall. How about you just sit here for a moment and uh, hear what Rin and Shiro are talking about? Uh, mm-hmm. Kyrie enters the chapter chapel where Rin and Shiro are waiting. Uh, Rin immediately notices that Kyrie has completely used up his magic crest on the operation. Uh, he tells them not to thank them, as they will take it back later anyway. <laughs> uh, he was able to remove most of the worm, but some of it was buried too deep. The only way to extract the rest would be to remove Sakura's heart, uh, which would obviously kill her. Um, she will be able to live normally as, Zo- as long as Zoken does not activate the worm. Ren starts walking to the back of the church, prepared to kill Sakura. She believes she's picking the most merciful option, but Shiro believes she's jumping to conclusions. He refuses to take the pragmatic option when it may still be possible to save everyone. As they prepare to fight each other, they hear a window shatter. Sakura has broken the window and fled. Ren immediately runs after her, but Kyrie insists that Shiro wait for a moment while he tells him something important that he conveniently forgot to say before. Uh, he says that Sakura will die regardless of what Shiro does. Either they extract the worm and she dies from the shock, or they leave the worm in and she self-destructs after having her sanity slowly eroded. Quote, if you want to save her, you should have done so 11 years ago, end quote. I do like that Kyrie has kind of the same reaction we have had every time we've seen Shiro ignore the obvious warning signs yeah. of Sakura. Like, yeah, man, you should have done what you could. Like, your ideals are inherently farcical because you should have been caring for the people in front of you to begin with and you failed to do so. Yeah. And like... It's okay to have failed. Like, that is part of the thing of this. It, it is okay to f- have failed because, like, hurting and forgiving and caring for each other is, like, part of the best way to save the people around you. But, like, the best way to save her would have been to already have been caring for her the right yeah. way. So you need... It, also, you have to like, understand why you <clears throat> failed in order to fi- figure out what to do it, from yes, there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I, th- this route... Like, the more we talk about it, the more up on this route I am, just based on these three days. Because it's every complaint we've had in the first two routes is actively being answered. Well, almost every complaint is actively being answered for and, like, reckoned with yeah. in a way I was not expecting. And a lot of them by Curier, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, 
that's the other thing that I think is interesting, and I want to talk to you about Kyrie once we finish the, about uh, really just everything or the current state of things yeah. uh, once we finish this day. Um, so Shiro runs after Sakura to try and find her before Rin does. He guesses that if she wanted to avoid attention, she'd likely head to Miyama City. On his way there, um, as he's crossing the the bridge, um, the same bridge that like he and Saber crossed back on the Fate Route where they have their emotional talk. Um, he notices Sakura standing in the rain under the bridge. She asks him not to come closer. When he tells her to come with him, she apologizes for a myriad of things. For being a victim of abuse. For trying to hide what she is from Shiro. And for not having the courage to take her own life. Some days, she considered cutting off all, ta- all contact with him, pretending not even to recognize him. But to her, that was scarier even than her thoughts of suicide. Shiro holds her in his arms and tells her he'll protect her no matter what happens. He'll be her superhero. Uh. Um, I, I, like, full on, I was full on sobbing when I read this scene here. Um, and like, this is a scene I was specifically thinking of when I was talking about, like, the precision with which, uh, he, Nasu is specifically writing, uh, like, <clears throat> the difference between mapping a read onto something that works with it and something that is, like, precisely and explicitly about a thing. Like, that is the thing that really cemented Sakura to me as explicitly being about having been an abused child being raised. Um, and it, it, it was a very hard scene to read, because it was very specific yeah. and direct. <laughs> it's not... It's it, it, it's it's rough. Um, it, it is uh, unambiguously rough. Um, and, like... I don't have much to say about what Sakura says specifically other than my heart breaks for her every time she is given screen time because this girl deserves a million times better. And like, okay. So Shiro's resolution here to, it is more than just to be her superhero. It is to basically be the one be on her side no matter what happens um like the the implication here being like even if she ends up killing people like he is still on her side and like he he wants to stop that obviously but like there is when i say shiro is like yeah sakura can have little murder as a treat it like i'm like 50 percent joking (laughs) um Part of it is like it, it, it. Obviously, stopping her is important. It is good. She should not commit murders. But like, the reaction here is understanding what has been inflicted on her and caring for her in such a way as to like, like this girl deserves some slack. She deserves some leniency. She deserves some space to try and be better, to be cared for. She deserves fucking anyone on her side after a world that has done everything it could after an entire support structure that has abused her forever. And so like, yeah, if she does something wrong and she still has someone on her side for once in her life, fine. That's fine. No, she's earned it. She deserves that leeway. Like there is a resolution here in Shiro's that like is the first moment we have been drift compatible where I, I too am like, you know what? Yeah, I agree. 
she can do one or two murders. I mean, you know, if she hits more than one or two murders, maybe we have a talk. But, like, one or two murders, I think I can give her some space. Yeah. Also, like, this is sort of what I was getting at with, like, when I talked about how Heracles was sort of used as an example of, like, what a hero actually is um, during the Unlimited Blade Works route, where, like, Heracles was Ilya's hero. That That is what he wanted yes. to be. And, like, no matter what Ilya did, Heracles would protect her. He had a, he had a purpose to his heroism that was lacking with Shiro in the Unlimited Blade Works route. Like, Shiro... Sh- Shiro wanted to be a superhero because of because he was in love with the idea of what a superhero is, but he didn't have anything specific he wanted to protect. There was like an idea that it, that had been like lightly touched on is like in in being a superhero, he could find salvation because of that reaction Kyrie had, and it never fully registered with him that like the salvation Kyrie found, or not Kyrie, uh, uh, Kiritsugu found was not in saving a singular person. It was that he saved a person and then was able to help care for yeah, them. Yeah, like, like, not, not the, just The salvation that he was saved, found in the days after. Yeah, not just that he saved Shiro, but became his dad. <laughs> yes, and, and like... Uh, Kyrie also hits on it, where he talks about how, yeah, you and I don't want four things. other, And, and so, like... That makes it impossible for us to reach salvation. It is only in the wanting that we can achieve salvation. And, like, again, you see that mirrored in Sakura, in, like, her inability to let herself want things. And the moment she, this moment here, where she starts to let herself want anything, we, and we see Shiro reciprocate and want to care for her in turn is the moment we see, like, a path forward open for her. It, it's not only the moment we see a path open forward for her, it's a moment she sees a path open forward for her. E- even, like, a false glimmer of hope. Like, there is a chance there still. Yeah. Um, and so, like, this... Day 9 is, without a doubt to me, the best day in the entire game. Because it is doing stuff like this. It is finally resolving the frustrations I had had and answering with, yes, the way you take care of people is you care for the people around you. You care for them and you love them and you do what you can to help them. You not, well, I guess you do a murder for an abstract ideal. Yeah, like, Shiro finally found something he actually wants that makes him happy to do. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, they both return to Shiro's house holding hands the entire way Rin is waiting there for them she tells them she still intends on killing Sakura for her own good if Shiro gets in the way she'll have to dispose of him too Sakura gets between them and says if Rin is going to fight Shiro she will fight Rin to that Rin responds quote if you can say something like that, then fight on and win the war as a master. Come to think of it, there is one way that you could be saved. You could easily be able to dis- you would easily be able to disenchant Zokin's bindings if you obtained the Holy Grail. End quote. 
Arin <laughs> leaves in peace, claiming that this is not an appropriate place to fight. As she exists, she tells. Uh, as she exits, uh, she tells Shiro that since that since he took Sakura in, he better make sure he'll be her only victim. Uh, basically, telling him like, if Sakura kills you, you better take her down with you. Um. I, I, I kind of like the scene with Rin because, like, it's ambiguous enough that if you are a Rin fan like me, uh, you can see this as Rin doing what Rin often does and, like, hesitating on a plan because of her humanity and realizing mm-hmm. she may be able to find a different way. Like, she constantly did with Shiro, like, when they faced each other. And here she's like, yeah. well... Here, here, like, she... I, I'm not sure when she thinks of the plan. It might actually just be in that moment when Sakura intervenes. And she realizes that, like, Sakura... It, Sakura has, like, grown a desire of her own and has grown, like, a will to fight. I, I think Rin realizes, wait, there is another option now that Sakura is like this and that Shiro is with her. And, like, deliberately drops that line to, like, be like, eh, you know, if you, if you did the Grail War. Uh, yeah, and I mean, like, part of it is, like, it feels a little like she's hedging her bets a little bit. Because, like, either she wins the Grail War and, like, she kills Sakura like she's intending to do. In which case, Sakura is actively fighting her, and like you know, it feels a little less guilt-inducing. Or she loses the Grail War, and Sakura gets to be saved. And like one way or the other, like people are saved, and Sakura is saved in some capacity. Yeah. And also, like that still feels like an excuse for I don't want to kill my sister or Shiro, because like she also realizes at this point, like. Oh, if I if I fight one of them, I I kill both of them. Yeah, because because they they're both gonna fight together, so she'd have to. Yep. <laughs> and she really doesn't want to do that. No. Um. Like I I, I I this is the best route for Rin too. <laughs> yeah. This is just the best route for every character. It's so fucked up. Why? Like even Saber, even though she got eaten by dirt. <laughs> well, except for Lancer. <laughs> yeah lancer's best route was last route. lancer was so cool yeah. dude i love lancer uh, but like every this is every heroine's best route it's so fucked up yeah uh so next we have the sex scene um which is what sort of we end on yeah uh which i i am again very conflicted about uh yeah i, I because, agree like yeah. her desire for shiro is is framed in a way that like it is unnatural. Mm-hmm. It, it is unnatural and it is consumptive. Um, there's also some uh, 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 motifs that return. Um, like it, it is constantly described as being in like a uh, in a, a sea of sakura, uh, a boiling hot sea, like boiling water, which is the exact same description he gave for when he was hit by the shadow. Yeah, and of like the the tar that comes forth from the grail yeah. mm-hmm. which you know it's like uh, ah soccer is corrupted uh, and like that all of that stuff is really frustrating 
And then, on the other hand, there is stuff like, uh, she frames her desire as inherently dirty, and the fact that she wants him as dirty, and, uh, Shiro explicitly comes out and says, you're not dirty, you're beautiful, and it is not your fault, the things that have been done to you. Yeah, that stuff I do like. Um, and, like, it is clumsily done, it is not well done, but there is, like, an intent there that that makes like that is part of what is making me give this scene all that part of this stuff is what is making me give nasu the rope to hang himself with if that makes sense where where there's like an intent here to make it clear like that framing is sakura's internal framing of like this is dirty and violent rather than like an absolute truth of the world and it is good, just in plain terms, it is good to have a sex scene in which both of the participants are active, eager desirers of each other and of the act that is occurring. Yeah. Like, that, that is good to finally have on screen. It is, it is frustrating the way that this is still framed in language that is, like, violent and consumptive. Uh, there are still the tinges of those erotic horror that are definitely clearly here in Henshaw. Yeah. And it is frustrating to have that in those scenes. And at the same time, have this scene function as a moment where Sakura is able to express a desire for somebody, for a person that she loves, and not be rejected. It... I have really conflicted feelings uh-huh. about yeah. this. Yeah, same. <laughs> what I will say, I, I think this is pretty, like, just in terms of, like, uh, eroticism, I, I, like, it's the best written sex scene. It's not good. I want to be clear. It's not good. But it is miles better than all of the rest by sheer virtue of the fact, like, yeah, both people are into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... And also, like, it is, it is also the only moment where I buy it as an emotional culmination, if that makes sense. Uh, Shiro and Sabres, I didn't buy either of those sex scenes as that. Um, Rin and Shiro's, I didn't buy it as that, um. This one is the only one I buy as, like, sex scene functioning as culmination of desire, of romantic interest, of, uh, uh. so you know how in musicals, uh, there's, like, the way musicals function is, uh, you talk until you sing, or, or you talk until you can't talk anymore, and then you sing, and then you sing until you can't sing anymore, and then you dance. Uh, and, like, that is how sex scenes often function in erotica or in porn. In, or just uh, uh, in romance novels in general, where uh, you talk until you can't talk anymore, and then you romance until you can't romance anymore, and then when that gets too much, then you fuck. Um, and, like, this is the first time I believed that structure. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, it does. Because, um, like, it's also the only one that... Ha- it's so far the only one that happens not because of, like, some magic related plot reason. Mm, mm, that's 
not true because the crestworms in her body desire seeds. Yeah, I mean, I I guess, but um, but but that also is in part like excuse for things she wants. Yes. Um, and, and so like. And like that, that is part of where that complication comes I, from. I guess like, more, more accurately, it is it is the first scene that where like it is not the framing the framing framing of it is not like superseded by the fact that oh we're we're prime we're primarily doing this because we have to for plot reasons and that is why this yes. thing is happening. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't be. Um, right. This is a scene that feels like it is occurring because of an emotional culmination. Um, The other thing I want to say is... So, hypersexuality as a response to sexual assault is like... It's it's like a thing that happens to some folks. And like, I am not interested in judging or evaluating that as a response to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not um, touching it, that because I am not at all qualified to. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, what I do want to say is, uh, you know who else feels really unqualified to discuss it? It's <laughs> yeah, the writer of this story. <laughs> uh, 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 it does not feel... And this is the other part of where my frustration comes from. Because, like... The reaction of hypersexuality, like, it, it, it doesn't feel like he is equipped to engage with it in a real way, which is frustrating, because, like, the rest of Heaven's Feel so far has been him at least trying to engage with this. Regardless of how you feel he is successful in doing so, he is at least trying to engage, if that makes sense. And, like... hypersexuality as his response to it doesn't feel like something he is equipped or prepared to engage with in any real sense and so he kind of like backs off from it and doesn't really touch it in any way other than as a means for setting up uh, uh soccer shame and as a means for setting up uh sex scenes and like that is kind of frustrating like it feels like he kind of strikes out yeah and to be clear, I'm not saying, oh, I wish he had done it bad, but it feels like if you're not going to swing, don't put it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I am pretty generally a fan of two out of tens that swing and do something interesting over six or seven out of tens. Um, and, like, it feels like he went for a seven out of, or for a six out of ten instead of a risking a two out of ten does that make sense sort of yeah i'm trying to figure out how exactly i want to articulate her it is a work that is very focused uh this route specifically is very focused on sakura's relationship with sex and with her abuse and it feels like that reaction of hypersexuality rather than being a true thing about her is by being a supernatural occurrence that she has no control over rather than a learned behavior as a response to an abuse or a way of coping or even just like a facet of her personality it is something that is removed from her and removed as like 
a thing she has an actual relationship. It with. feels like a cop or out, like I something get what that you're saying. Yes, yes, it, it feels like a way of not engaging with that as an actual lived experience of people. And like, if you want to engage with that as a lived experience of people, like you clearly are trying to do with abuse and with abusers and with cycles of abuse, like that's fine, man. But you got to swing. Yeah. You can't cop yeah, out. You can't. Like that. You, can't you can't just make it the like, fault of a magic worm. <laughs> You can't just choke like that. Like, uh, this is too serious. This is too close to people's lives. If you're going to swing, you better swing and yeah. hit. Do not half-ass this. Like, and it feels like he does. If that does that make a yes, more sense? Yes, it does now. Yeah. Okay. It's also why I just generally don't like magic as justification for stuff. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's honestly, that's the end of weird sex yeah, scene. It's the end of day nine. <laughs> We're done. It, yeah. Uh, Do you want to talk about, this is already a long recording. Yeah, boy. Um, it's three hours. <laughs> uh, to be fair, this is the, this was, there, it, it earned it was, three hours. It was very dense. Fair. Like even, even doing the summary, like. We could have done just day nine on its own. Yeah, like even even when I was writing out days eight, seven through nine, like my my wrists were starting to hurt at the end of it, just because like how mm-hmm. much there was. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, there's a lot happening in it, these days. It, it is like day nine specifically is like a fulcrum point on which, in my opinion, based on what I've seen so far, the work as a whole rests on like. This work does not work for me if you do not have this moment that is in context of the previous two roots of Shiro choosing to be a quote-unquote superhero and then finally choosing to reject that and care for the people around him. Yeah. Like, so g- giving it this space, I think, is good. It's just also a long-ass podcast. Yeah. Um, we can, we can, you had something you want to say about Kyrie, like, altogether, though, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I did want to ask, like, what your... Uh, what your opinion on Kyrie as he stands right now is. Yeah, um, he's he's a little slippery. Uh, he's a little more slippery in this route. Because, like... Yeah. He is doing genuinely good things. And he... Like, he is often giving genuinely good advice to Shiro, just from sort of a twisted perspective. Um, and, and for, like, a twisted reasons. But, like, I think... At the end of day nine, based on like what he, he is telling to telling Shiro, like I kind I am kind of starting to believe that he really doesn't care about doing anything in the war and just wants to observe. Like I I don't think Kyrie is going to be the main villain of this route, or or, or even a villain so. at all. Uh, Kyrie reads to me. So, Kyria has always functioned, in part, as a mirror to Shiro. Um, whereas, like, Shiro modeled himself after Kiritsugu, he was actually closer to Kyrie in that, like, Kiritsugu always had, like, fixed goals and objectives that, like, were personally significant to Yeah, like, Kyrie himself, um, like, says that, I, I can't remember which route, it, whether it was Fate or UBW, I think it might have been UBW, but, like, Kyrie does tell Shiro that, like, he's able to clock him so well because Kyrie understands what it what it's like to be him. 
Yeah. But, like, and so, like, he is always framed as that sort of mirror to Shiro, in that, like, they don't have their own goals and desires and don't really know how to conceptualize them. And, like, this route, the route where Shiro finally manages to figure that out and figure out how to have things he wants for himself, by himself, and... Because Kyrie even expresses uh, uh, in the bad end where he chooses to be a superhero, uh, he expresses disappointment that it's turned out this way. But it's still it'll still be interesting nonetheless. Uh, it feels like Kyrie is looking for uh, redemption isn't the right word, but like the idea that there was another way. For yeah, it, it, it's that, what, that there was a way out for him. Yeah, at all. It, it's almost like he's using Shiro as a test subject to see like how could I have turned out if I had chosen a different path. Like, it's too late for me. I've already been locked into this. Um, but what and, about this And kid? there's even, like, an undercurrent of, like... In the same sort of way, there is that undercurrent of Gilgamesh, of, like, yeah, you're a fucked up monster, but, like, there is still an undercurrent of, like, desire for, that isn't all evil underneath there. Like, there's that same sort of undercurrent, to me at least, uh, in Kyrie, of, I don't want you to end up like me. I don't want you to end up like this. And so he pushes in ways that move them in that direction. Because every time, every time, in every Kyrie has seen Shiro, it has been to say, hey, those ideals you have, the ideals that make you like me, they are nothing and they are void and they are empty. You should change them or abandon them. Like, in every route. Like, that is the most constant facet of Kyrie's persona, is, like, he just dunks on the aspect of Shiro that makes him the most like Kyrie. Yeah. Which is is interesting to me. Also, he's just... He gives this game so much energy and life, yeah. and it's... It's so rewarding yeah. that he is a hero. Yeah, because he's... It's also interesting, because, like, he... There isn't really another character that fills a role even close to him, because... He's not mm -hmm. a he's not a hero, but he's also not a not really a villain in this route. Yeah, he's like this. He's like this weird third party who <laughs> has his own objective. He, he is quite, he, he quite literally in the context of the story, an observer. Yeah. Like in the same way he is in the Grail War. Like that's why Lancer dying uh, early matters because it removes him from the war because it means he doesn't have a reason to go with the flow and instead can just observe. Yeah. And that can let even his latent desires, like the desire to maybe have Shiro pick a different route or to not even to make Shiro pick a different route, to give him the chance to pick a different route. Um, even if Shiro doesn't realize it, e even if like Kyrie doesn't realize it, like it is, it is interesting to see him push Shiro in a way that is to be different than him. Um. Yeah, how, how are you feeling about Sakura or Shira right now? Um, I I like Sakura a lot. Um. To be honest, like I, I'm still, I'm still hesitant about about Shiro. I. I think by the end of this, uh, both with how he interacts with Ryder and also how he interacts with Sakura, by the end of this, he he's starting to grow on me more. Um. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like. Part of the reason I think I would be less harsh on him 
if I hadn't just had to go through two routes entirely from his perspective, or he was just awful for a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, this Shiro, like, in these three days is the most I've liked Shiro. Especially in Day 9. Yeah. It's, uh... Um, so I, I'm hoping that trend continues. Um, uh, me too. Uh, I, I'm also excited for more Ryder, honestly. Same. She's gotten, like, no screen yeah, time. I like Ryder a lot, because, like... What's interesting is that Ryder is is basically like Sakura's saber. Um, mm-hmm. In that both of them are, like, very defensive of their masters. Um... And and not in like a not in a possessive way like Caster kind of was about Kuzuki, um, even if Caster was like doing it because she had feelings of love, there was still sort of that sort of weird possession going on that she had with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with, with Ryder and Saber, it, it's much more of a like they genuinely care about their actual master. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to to see. Saber, the most noblest of, of knights, her own protectiveness, like, and good qualities reflected in the so-called monster Medusa. Yeah, it's also interesting in that, like, to a degree, in the same way that Saber reflects Shiro, like, I, I mean, this is a this is a game that is all about, like, Say what you will about Masu. The man is good at setting up parallels because he does it with every fucking character to every other character. Yeah, like it's very obvious why Medusa is, uh, is the one Sakura's, that Sakura summoned. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like, that is interesting. I am glad that she is going to get more screen time. I am glad Sakura is going to get more screen time, and I can't wait for her to go sicko mode and murder some people. <laughs> And for me to say, it's fine, she deserves it. I can't wait to get cancelled, because people are like, I can't believe you would justify mass murder, and for me to go, yeah, man, absolutely. I I think it's good when she commits murder, actually. (laughs) I'm just gonna double down. Yeah, I, uh... One thing I'll say about Heaven's Feel is, like, it's finally making me understand why Sakura fans exist. Because, Mm -hmm. like... It's because Sakura fans spent the first two roots being me, and then Sakura roots finally happened, and all of us went, "Oh, thank God the, yeah, the game's she, the game's starting." She has good. a character now. <laughs> she she's not I, I just the childhood friend who disappears after the f- first act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Y- yeah, because like. I, I think I ha- I think this is the point where I just fully like side into yeah okay I-, I guess I am a Sakura fan like I actively really like Sakura as a character and want the best for her like so I-, I feel about Sakura like the same way you feel about Rin or yeah Singer. I'm I'm definitely still like a-, a Rin man ride or die but like uh. Uh-huh. Sakura is absolutely like a a very compelling and likable character in Heaven's Feel. Yeah, like 
Heaven, I, she she gets the benefit of like this being the route where things are allowed to culminate. So like everybody's roots are coming to like or everybody's thematic roots are coming to a resolution like even rin like in her having that conversation with shinji going yeah uh this is what a magus is it's everything i thought that wasn't a magus um yeah it's it is interesting how the structure of this affects the way this story plays out um Regardless, though, we've already hit like almost three and a half hours, so we should yeah, probably we gotta stop. Wrap unless you have something. Yeah, no, more. I, I think we're good. Uh, next week we will okay. talk about days ten through twelve. Um, oh, nice! We got we got another Arrowgay scene on day twelve, and also I, date eleven. Here, here's my thing: I am genuinely curious yes. about them now. Like in the con, like. This is the first time I've been like, yeah, 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 whatever, it's porn. But, like, I am curious what those look like. Because that is going to shape so much of how I interact with the rest of this work. Because of what it's about and how it's used the previous Yeah, I-, I will say I'm no longer dreading them like I was before. Yeah! I, uh, I am actively curious. Yeah. Um, anyway. I, it, it also makes sense that this is the route with the most sex scenes. Yeah, uh, yeah, par- uh, partly because, like, they they get together a lot earlier. Like, Rin, Rin and, both Rin and Saber, like, their relationship with Shiro remains, like, a- as you said, very chaste and somewhat distant. Which might also make sense, because, like, they haven't really been, cl- they don't, they haven't gotten close until the Great yeah. War happens. Like, Shiro knows who yeah, Rin absolutely. is. But, like, he doesn't interact with her much until the Grail War happens. Right. So, like, they've known each other for a few days. Whereas, like... There is not the established... Yeah, he's known Sakura for years. Like, there is an earned intimacy that, like, I buy them getting together this quick. I buy them, like, wanting each other out of the gate like that because they're fucking 18-year-old dipshits who, like, have spent, what, four years being interested in each other and never acting on it um and so it's like yeah you know what okay uh i I get this being like a bubbling bubbling and culmination but also like just the topic of this a being a route that is about sakura uh and b like this being a route that is about sakura's relationship with sex and sexual assault like yeah, it makes sense that this would be the route where you have the porn scenes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, for varying degrees of <laughs> effects. Uh, Alright, so that'll be it for this episode. Uh, we'll see y'all next time. And remember, podcasts end when they stop recording.